episode 137 of Zapped to the Past. I am Adrian Mills and I'm joined as always by Mr. Graham Raddings. If you haven't listened before, this is a podcast where we discuss games that were released for the Commodore 64. We are using the magazine Zap 64 as a monthly guide for the games to focus on, but we are in no way affiliated with Zap 64 itself. This week, we start our look at December 1989 and the first batch of games reviewed in issue 56 of Zap 64, along with what was also going on in the UK singles and albums chart that month. Graham, the weather outside may indeed have been frightful, but were the games in any way delightful? In this penultimate December 1989 episode that is positively bulging like a bodybuilder after a particularly aggressive pump, we tackle the bendy highways of the USA as we race at breakneck speed from coast to coast in our oversized supercar in Turbo Outrun, form some geometric shapes and attempt to answer impossible sports questions in the angular sporting triangles, and then we take Professor Chicken and his bird friend Dr. Quack on a murderous rampage through some moon bases in the decidedly odd Xenophobe. It's hard to believe that there is only one more episode for December 1989. It really isn't long now. Before that, we round off this episode with a look across another arcade conversion, this time something altogether more military in the explosive cabal, or cable, or cabal, depends how you want to say it really. We explore the NAF licensed world of yet another dog egg with the utterly mindless Top Gun, and then settle into some good old-fashioned platform leaping in the melancholy and definitely British Mario-like world of Terry's Big Adventure. There are some angry words spoken in this episode. Can you guess which game has earned the wrath of Zap to the Past? Well, we'll find out, <laughs> won't we? Well, well, we will find out. Yes, we shall. Yeah, we're back. Uh, if we sound a bit rusty, it's because we've been off for four weeks. Well, not off, but we've been we've been away. The behind well, the scenes Christmas. Stuff is, there's been Christmas. There's been COVID. There's been work holiday. Not work holidays. Work trips. Yeah, should we say yeah, work yeah, trips? Yeah. It's all kind of yes. combined um, to sort of put yep. us on the back foot a little bit. So uh, yeah, there you go. So we've been off, and so it feels like forever since we've done it does. this. But now we're back. We're back now. We're back, and uh, I, I, I feel like I'm just getting a spray of WD-40 to grease those uh, podcasting wheels, <laughs> and uh, I reckon we'll be back in. But the first thing we need to do, Graham, because it is a new month, you know what that means, don't you? I'd like to think it's something to do with uh, flavours of grapes. Oh, the cover. Okay. <laughs> the did cover. I get that wrong? Okay. You really did. I know you and your flavours of grapes. Uh, Grape flavour. Very green. Kind of green. Or, well, you'd be surprised. There are many flavours of grapes. Not really. I don't know. I'm not a grape connoisseur. No. Let's have a look at this cover. It is the Christmas cover. Graham Zap 64, C64 Amiga is number one for CBM 64, but not Amiga still. Yes, there's a combination of factors in this which make it a little bit unusual. Kind of a fearful looking uh, Father Christmas. Snow (laughs) on the logo. I'd always like snow on a Christmas logo. You don't know how hard it was to resist putting snow on our... Christmas Cracker episode logo. I had to fight, you should, fight, you physically done. fight with myself. No, it's just 
because I like it, but not when I do it. It always looks, oh, okay. just looks like, it look, honestly, the way I did try it, and it just looked like a teenager had got a bit overexcited over the logo. I was like, no, <laughs> we're not re- the world's not ready for that. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, I don't want to think about that. Anyway, and, and exactly. spe- speaking of that kind of things, Santa's split his sack. Yes, he's, he's, he's ruptured his sack, and out of it spills trucks and cars. Yeah, it's a Seems. weird weird bunch of uh, presents to get. Um, it is. But it's talking about the games, isn't it? Because there's Turbo Outrun, an exclusive review. I wonder if that means he gets a good grade. <laughs> well, the funny thing there is, of course, Mark, um, it's uh, at least the cover is the game that's in the issue, which you know hasn't been always that is has true, it, recently. Yeah. That, so that is true, is and there's obviously stunt car racer as well. We've got this week, uh, this month. Yes, um, yes, that's there as well. Cabal interface, myth, cable, myth, <laughs> cable. Yeah, like cable. I, think, I, I feel like <laughs> the the myth because it's the, it's the usual image to the sort of top right, text on the bottom corner, and then sort of splattered around. And it's gone back. We thought that they'd done gone on like a bit of a text reduction, and it kind of worked, even though the text was boring. Now they've just kind of gone back to the usual. So just random words thrown at the bloody image. <laughs> you know, it's obviously that's got the car from Turbo Outrun and a you know scantily clad bikini wearer going through the snow. I guess. Um, I guess. With it being Christmas, but the way it's this myth system three. It's dead and exciting. <laughs> <laughs> could it be? I don't want to sound like Chandler sort of thing, but could it be less exciting? But is could it? How could how could it be more exciting? Well, they've just got a barcode in it. Nothing, nothing makes anything less spectacular or interesting than a barcode. Well, that's true. We were talking about barcodes the other day when we had to learn about barcode readers in computer studies at school. That was a yeah. thrilling, thrilling couple of lessons. Yeah, that was like the, that were. was the thing of the future, wasn't it? They'd be remember them saying they'd be really important, and they are important actually, but not as important as they made them out to be. No, so. no, they didn't. Oh. There's also sackfuls of Xmas goodies to be won. Yeah, they couldn't be bothered to say what they were, could they? So, no, and an, yeah. and an Xmas day at the arcades. Oh, just I, I don't know how I feel about Xmas on the front cover. Uh, well, it's on there twice. Sackfuls of Xmas yeah. goodies and Xmas day at the arcades. Say Christmas. Yeah, just be be bold. Commit. <laughs> <laughs> Commit. Grasp the nettle by the thorn and say Christmas. But uh, I don't. Does Santa to you look like he's like a DJ mixing? Yeah, well, his hands are odd, aren't they? He's got very grippy hands for a Father Christmas. He looks like he's stealing that sack more than yeah. There's something shady with it. about him, isn't there? It's, uh, yeah, you know, it's not slim shady. It's Santa shady, shady mm. Santa. It's, I mean, but, it's well drawn, of course. It's the usual quality, but you know. it is. I mean, it's an it's an okay cover. It's quite it's quite good. Mm. I, I like the sack and everything spilling out of it. I think that's quite good, and all the cars and stuff. And it's a bit action packed <laughs> and stuff, but. It's all right. It's not. It's better than some of the covers we've seen recently, and at least it's thematically correct. And like you said, it's got the game on the yeah. cover. So yes, so, yes, you know. it has got the Ferrari from uh, from a Turbo Outrun on there. So yeah, and it's massive, just like it is in the game. If you don't want a spoiler, yeah. um, but we'll get to that in a bit. <laughs> <laughs> it, is, it is. It is. They are big cars, but you know, small screens, big cars. It's not good that. <laughs> So that's the uh, American documentary you don't want to watch. Small screens, big cars tonight on CBS, 8 o'clock Eastern. True. That's very true. Uh, there we go. That's the cover. We've done our due diligence and we have looked at yeah. the cover. Uh, we've got games this week, six, in fact, we six do. games we up do. from the last few weeks. Um, we so do. shall we get into them? Seems like a good idea to me. Seems like an idea. Right. Let's get into our first game then. And 
is the cover game. It's over to you, Graham. It is indeed Turbo Outrun. This is a bit of a whopper, isn't it? 97% this got. Gold medal. Mm -hmm. Shiny, precious gold. Gold! Precious gold. Gold! Gold! Always believe in your... (laughs) You know, it's what it is. It's true. It's true. (laughs) It's true. It's so true. Oh, it's true. It's true. (laughs) 9.99 this was on I'm guessing a format of some other I don't suppose that's disc it's US gold that's bound to be tape it's but who tape. knows it's US gold publisher was US gold US gold medal this should be called for this hey um, hey copyright uh, Sega of course of course it's Sega isn't it developer was probe software are you being probed um but yeah you are when you play this coder was Mark, now I kept all, because his name is Mark WJ Kelly and I've been saying Mark Jelly for all this time and I feel really <laughs> stupid. His name's Mark <laughs> Kelly, not Mark Jelly. You are, that's why. But there you go. Um, so anyway, so he did the uh, he did the code for Marauder, Mr. Helly, and soon, and some time to come, Golden Axe. Mm. Yeah, Mr. Helly was good. Marauder yeah. was quite... Marauder had its... Marauder went bad. Yes, it's all, yeah, exactly. Graphics here by Steve Crow, the Crow Man. He strikes <laughs> with graphics. He did Savage and Zynaps. They weren't bad either. All said and done yeah. for graphics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the musician here... Is Jerome Hurun Hurun Jerome Tell? Now he's Thumpy done Tell. loads of stuff. He's done loads of Cybernoid, Cybernoid Two, loads of stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. there's more to it than that. Just that for some reason, they always are the ones that come to mind out of his. But loads of them. So Turbo Outrun, then massive arcade. This in Japan, Game Machine listed Turbo Outrun on their March the fifteenth, nineteen eighty nine issue as being drawn the third most successful upright cockpit arcade unit of the month. Well, that's what an, an odd award. That's, that's a niche uh, niche category. Can you imagine what the trophy looks like? He'd be like, oh, cockpit award. <laughs> upright um, cockpit anyway, as well. Uh, <laughs> congratulations, here's your upright cockpit award. Oh, we wanted the other award, not that one. Anyway, that's what it was. But third most successful struck me as But this was the time when there was a lot of big showcase arcades. And so, you know, mm. Turbo Outrun was... You know, was one of those, but no, there's other things to think about. Um, and by the way, just as an aside, the soundtrack for the C64 game won Best Music on an 8-bit computer in 1989 at the European Computer Trade Show. Did you know that? I did not know that. Well, neither did Jerome Tell when, when, when he was awarded, because the US Gold didn't think to tell him or invite him. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, so he <laughs> never knew he won that award until years later. So, and it's, it, that's, his, that's his comment, I think, on one of the... I think it might be on Lemon. It's his comment on it, saying, yeah... Never even told me I won that, the fools. Which, you know, isn't very nice, is it, anyway? Classic, no. classic. So, back to the arcades we go then, Adrian. And this time we face another massive conversion. Another one. Mm. This time, as I've said, Sega's official arcade follow-up to their smash hit Outrun. This time in the shape of Turbo Outrun. Ooh. Oh. Now, remember this is one, well, this potentially is one of you Suzuki's games. Outrun was. Now, I don't know that he was specifically involved in Turbo Outrun to any greater or lesser degree, although he's, you know, it's Outrun, so I imagine he's got something to do with it. Mm. Um, but he's probably had oversight or something. But Yu Suzuki games, famous Sega arcades, aren't they, all of them? Mm-hmm. Now, get this. The arcade largely ran on the same Sega Super Scalar hardware, only this one had a whole bunch of gimmicks in it, a whole bunch of stuff. It was a real okay. humdinger. It's a mighty handy item. So it's got a whole bunch of graphic processing craziness added, including a video board GPU. Get this, with six additional CPUs running at an eye-watering 25 megahertz and a main board GPU with five CPUs running at 40 megahertz. Not to mention the twin FPGA, that's Field Programmable Gate Arrays, custom tile map and sprite generators, 
the twin 24-bit, 24-channel sound chips, and the Yamaha FM Synthesis 8-channel audio chip, and dual 68,000 CPUs. That is a whole lot of meatballs packed into one particular bit <laughs> of technology. That's, that's isn't it? quite a lot. Um, yeah, that's a whopper. That's that is that is that is crazy. That is crazy. Yep. Bloody all hell. packed into a game so you can just race stuff. Mad. <laughs> yeah. So all of that, take all of that goodness, all of that fruity basket, that big massive fruit basket, and let's try and sort of scramble that down into the humble beige bread bin with its 64K, three channels, and its cozy one megahertz CPU. Looks like a kind of a crazy task to try that, doesn't it? Mm. Anyway, we know great things can be achieved, as Power Drift proved last time. So we you know, so we're not saying it's going to be, we know it's not going to be at the same rate of power as a 25 megahertz, 40 megahertz, whatever the hell that even is, monster. But uh, let's remember that, uh, and let's remember that firstly, though, Power Drift proved last time that, you know, things can be good on the C64 if you take your time to think about it. But this is US Gold, not Activision, so hmm. Mm-hmm. And then secondly, um, the benchmark for outrun conversions isn't really crazy good on the C64 right now. So the benchmark's pretty low. So it's yeah. not like you have to do something really hard. I mean, okay, that maybe what was achieved before in the context of it was a 17-year-old guy and his dad having a massive argument down by the sound of it. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, you know, and they did an okay job and that's fair play. 17 years old is a, is a lot of pressure and, you know, and, and it turned out okay, I suppose, for what it was. But it wasn't without its issues, was it, the original Outrun? So it's not like this game's got, it's got some ground to catch up on. You know, you can't just turn out another one of them. The nature of the challenge has altered somewhat from Outrun, though. And this is arcade again. But the central notion is the same. So the challenge has changed a bit. So you race from A to B across bumpy and bendy USA roads and highways within specified times to hit checkpoints and continue. Avoid other cars, crashing. That's the kind of deal, isn't it? In this game, there are some slight variations to the way things work. The race is now across the whole USA, east to west coast. In Ooh. fact, from New York to Los Angeles in 16 stages. We lose the ability to choose our path, which was in the Outrun Arcade, although that wasn't actually in the C64 version anyway, so you can't miss what you never had. We also have bad weather to contend with on some stages, some night driving, and we even have a nemesis, as we are this time racing against, or at least competing in some manner, against someone driving a Porsche 959. Ugh. Spit on that. Who wants one of them? <laughs> Not me. Actually, I do. I like Porsches. Yeah, they're very nice cars. Yeah, lovely. Really nice. Yeah. Um, we're also not driving the same Ferrari. Previously, we were in a Ferrari that almost resembled a Testarossa Coupe, a car which does not exist. This time, we're in a Ferrari F40 Coupe, a car which doesn't actually exist and never has. But it looks the part in the oh, arcade. Weird. It's made for a good-shaped cabinet, didn't it? Oddly, the original mm. Outrun on the C64 had more of an F40-like appearance anyway. Maybe they saw the future. We'll never know. We'll never know. It was just a great big blocky bastard, wasn't it, that car? Anyway, whatever. Uh, Some other important extras that exist, there is, of course, a turbo button, hence the name Turbo Outrun, which greatly accelerates the vehicle, of course, because that's what happens when you press a turbo button, isn't it? Um, Should do. Should do. My uh, old PC used to have a turbo button on it. Never knew what it really did. Never sure whether it speeded up or slowed it down. It was impossible to know. It was just rubbish. Anyway, (laughs) so also there's periodic stops along the route of the race where you can choose vehicle enhancements to help you in the preceding stages. That's pretty neat. That's pretty neat, Mm. isn't it? Yeah. Of course, there was also loud music and lots of it. Speech, your girlfriend by your side, and a lot of razzmatazz and boom shangalang. You could hear the turbo out an arcade a mile away when it was in the arcades, and it is very good fun, pretty pricey, of course. I was, as I've testified to many of these driving games, utterly crap at Turbo Outrun. Just a tragedy, really. Never been able to play it very well, even in the arcade, even for free at the, the, the arcade club. That was rubbish. When you mm. rubbish at a free arcade, that's not a good thing, is it? Anyway, still rubbish at least. I did try and have a go at the arcade club and again. And what you are instantly hit with when you play Turbo Outrun in the arcade is all of the Turbo Outrun arcadeisms, all of the big boom, bang a shout, you know, it kind of shouts at you. It's a very big mm. thing. 
So uh, that's quite interesting. So the C64 version then, first impressions, pretty good, I have to say. Okay. Some confident audio and visual presentation. Confidence, a good word. Mm, I played the CRT version. So cartridge version, not CRT. Why did I put CRT? It's not a CRT. That'd be TV, wouldn't it? No, the ca- I, played the I think they're version. called CRT version. I think they are called CRTs. Yeah, no, that's what I played. I played the cartridge version, so loading times wouldn't be an issue. But by but for the original, they were a little bit of a crippling factor, as been indicated by a fair few people. I tried the disc version as well. It's hard to say how disruptive they would be because I'm still on an emulator. But I think what I'd, what I'd say is Chris Butler had identified when he was going to make Power Drift or convert Power Drift that he didn't want to have loading times because it kind of kills the game's mojo. And I think he's right a little bit about that. This I is Turbo so Outrun. And loading in a game like Turbo Outrun kind of makes you go, Ugh. so it does. Anyway, I had the cartridge version. so And that's the version I've played. I guess you'd call that the optimum version, really, isn't it? The op- fully optimum. And it's also optimized and also bug fixed. Yeah. So, I don't know. And now that's the version I played anyway. And so you, you can go and play the non bug fixed disc loady version if you want. It's the same game underneath the hood, really, once you get down to it. So, rowdy loading screen music, uh, rowdy loading screen, sorry, and music. I thought the music's good. It's quite nice looking, that part of it, the beginning bit. You can't really argue with the sort of it, the way into this game. Moves on to the title screen music, which is actually really nice. Now, I have to say, unusually, it's a fairly simple sort of title screen out at the top, this kind of nice droppy sort of text effect with some messaging and some stuff like yeah. that. But the music and the way it plays itself and the way it sort of lands, it's got like a da 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 and it's just got a nice vibe. It's got a really yeah. good vibe to it. It is good. So it's got this nice pow, sort of powwow vibe. And I quite like that. Graphics up to this point are all okay, I guess, as well, of the arcade. Nicely shaded graphics, you know, okay. You slam the button, uh, slam the fire button when you're at this point and you'll be on the selector for manual or automatic. That's a nice touch because it's in there. It's mm. in there. Okay, that's good. I only played automatic. I'm not a psycho. Um, and there's only two gears anyway. I think again, it's high and low again. So it's like, oh, okay. So I just went for automatic. Like it yeah, it's the, um, it's the, what's it? It's the Price is Right gear changing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, higher, lower. Yeah, it's a little bit. Anyway, um, so again, that's all from the arcade. And it also looked kind of the part and it had like the music and it's all looking good so far. Loading happens between all of this on the disc version though. Loading when it's slowing, And it's not slow, super slow. It's not like slow, slow. It's just slow enough, isn't it? And that's the pain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just too slow it's just not in a game like turbo Outrun, i expect the word turbo to be kind of a thing anyway the game starts and you're presented with a reasonable approximation of the arcade blue skies with a hint of cloud cityscape in the background gray highways like roads that bend bump and contort with a variety of details that zoom past you and to the left and to the right and all the kind of standard stuff we've seen before the upper part has your score remaining time and stage at the bottom your rev counter speedometer turbo indication and gear stick now you can press your turbo a few times but it will overheat eventually so you can only do it you know so often mm-hmm. there's also kind of a min- these are kind of a miniature versions of those things though so when i say rev counter speedometer and the and the gear stick made me laugh out loud when i saw it because it's <laughs> kind of like it's like a tiny little tiny little stamp like, eh. so they've put them in i mean i think they would have been better not having them i have to say just you know or but anyway they put them in there but they actually go into the bottom border which is quite a nice idea but they're just kind of, they're there. What are you going to use them for if you're driving automatic? I don't need to, I need to know my speed, but you know, the clutch is either in or there, is it? Anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and so at this point, then you'd be thinking, well, how do I control this? You know, this crazy vehicle. Um, and we'll come to that. The vehicle takes up sort of standard race game screen position. So about a quarter up in the middle and you control it with the joystick. Up is speed up, not up, decelerates. Best way I can describe it. Down is brake or sharper brake, handbrake, I guess. And left yeah. and right steer, or as we said in that previous game, what was it? They weren't, they weren't steering, were they? They were controlling the... Oh, I can't remember we were, didn't they? Some, some stupid thing. Anyway. <laughs> I can't remember. Um, I can't remember now. But it's left and right to steer, and fire button unleashes your turbo. Mm. 
Turbo. Mm. And so you race down the road, avoid the other vehicles, steer around the bends, trying to avoid hitting anything and spinning out of control or crashing. And, well, that's all part of kind of Outrun, isn't it? That's the Outrun that we know and love. That's kind of it. That's Outrun. That's how it works. Mm-hmm. You've got to hit the checkpoints before your time runs out. If you don't, well, you're going to be sucking down some loud, weird bassy sounds when your engine derevs. It's loud. <laughs> C64 emits a three-channel sort of, uh, I'm guessing it's a square wave or something. It burst my eardrums. So bloody loud. It's like, wow, God, that's okay. That's happening, is it? Okay, just uh, get some cotton buds now. My ears are tingling. So the game, the graphics in the game, then the graphics are a bit of a mixed bag of medium and high res. The background details don't look too bad. The roadside stuff is okay. It's a tad on the character blocky and fidget side for me, but I guess that's expected in a game like this. It's not as good as it was in Power Drift, it has to be said. The road is a three-lane highway akin to the arcade and does move well and fast with suitably silly sharp bends and hills that kind of roll and kind of bump. It's kind of there. Music plays away nicely as you thunder down the roads. Oh, pretty good, that. It's not too bad. It's not terrible. Certainly better than some of the other race games we've had of this type. However, your cars are too big. Your car's too big. It's too damn big. Your car's too big. It's over large. You've got a massive, massive, chunky car. It's massive. And I get it. You know, it's a very important part of the game. But the problem is the scaling goes a bit wild, doesn't it? So you've got a really big car on a really little highway and then other cars that are coming onto you and it all starts to get a bit wild, doesn't it? And the, the scaling and the sizing of the vehicles and cars is all kinds of runny and wrong. Not good. Mm-hmm. Um, so I felt the car was a bit over large for the screen and seeing as you can't see the wheels from the back, you lose that hint of speed, which putting a simple indication on the tyres would have added. Pit stop two does it perfectly fine. It's just a line that flashes but it gives you the ideas that the tyres are going round. Yeah. The faster it flashes, mm-hmm. the faster you might be going. I know, all the wheels are spinning. Simple, simple idea. It controls um, this game exactly as you would expect, badly. And I mean, that's because it lunges more than it turns. So you don't feel like you're so much steering around the corners because you, you will steer and you'll go into the corner and then you come out, the cow will lunge across like it did an outrun. Same problem. Maybe that's an arcade thing. Maybe that's a bit of a throwback to that. Um, but I find it a bit lungy around the corners. Okay, so I was flying off a lot more than I should have been skidding and hitting the roadside furniture, which made me spin around. Nice animation when you spin around. The car looked decent, but I was then losing time. Losing time is not good, and so that's it. The graphics, like I said, for the car spinning around, are not terrible. It's a reasonable-looking experience, aside from the cars. Your car is too big, the other cars are too small, and it looks wrong on the road then. And that makes overtaking in this game incredibly difficult. Mm-hmm. Trying to avoid things in this game is hard because your car's too big on the road, so the road is <laughs> yeah. too, either the road's too small or your car's too big, or actually probably both. And so because of that slight scaling issue, all hell breaks loose in this game. And it actually it doesn't quite ruin it, but it's a thing that is going to be consistently wrong throughout your game experience with this, no matter how far you get. So just bear that in mind while we just talk about the little next bit. The game does have all the stages in, and they do vary in terms of graphic details, etc. But when I say vary, they don't just vary in graphics. They also vary in quality. And they, do, they don't play out in a terrible way. It's just not really that much fun because the whole thing feels a little bit thankless and, dare I say, a little bit boring. And that's part and parcel because you're not sat in a giant car in the arcade with really loud arcade-style music and sounds and speeches and all of that razzmatazz. There's a reason why this game commanded so much GPU and CPU power because it's thrown into your face when you're sat there. Mm -hmm. So all of that power is literally fired into your eyeballs. Now, you take some of that away. Okay, granted, you're not going to have the same experience. But in order for it to fit in the C64, you've got to take quite a lot of that away. That means it gets a little bit pedestrian because games like this are reliant on some of that razzmatazz anyway so when i say boring there's a few things that i factor into it like i said the road feels too small for all the cars your cars appear to take up a little more than a single lane in width and weaving around the soon thing soon becomes too difficult because everything feels too small on the road 
And then the cars do what I hate most of all in these games. They zoom and fidget into view and just fidget about. They're not racing on that road. They're not in the way. They're just meandering all over the place. And that's not fun. That just means they're not obstacles because they don't feel like they're part of a journey or anything. They're just stupid. You may as well just be a tree floating about or it could be anything. It doesn't have to be a car. It's just pointless. They're just obstacles for obstacles sake. Even the police cars are stupid in this. Now, the police cars, as far as I could ascertain, zoom up and just ram you, ram into your car and slow you down. They have Mm -hmm. no other purpose in this game. And I think they've only been added because of other games that had police cars in. So... I don't know. Um, so they just weave and get in your way, almost like all the all the things in there. There's no real indication of the track bends, which is a real frustrating thing for me. So you're flying along this track, and it just suddenly turns out the blue. Now, eventually, you remember that when you remember mem- might remember some of the tracks, and there's quite a lot to remember. But you might when you're playing this, there's no little arrows at the side of the bends or any indication that there's going to be a really sharp chicane coming up. They just suddenly you're flung into a bend, and because your car's too big and because the road's too small. It lacks the reaction space for you to be able to adjust correctly. So you'll just end up slowing down. You can't slow down too much in this game because you won't make it in time to the checkpoint. And that is a bit of a problem, isn't it? So I don't know. You can apply kind of, I mean, there's, there's, even with the lack of indications of track bends, there, it is a little offset, I suppose, because if you, as you're pushing up, you speed up. If you don't push up, then your car just starts to slow down. So you can sort of use that to your advantage if you're going into corners, but you've got to know the corners are coming. And some of them, obviously, they're more gentle than others. But when it's a sharp turn, God help you if you're going full speed in this game, because you'll just fly off to the side. And if there's something there, you'll hit it. If there's something, if there isn't something there, you might slow down. It's just a bit of a hit and miss, really. So you find yourself too big on the road, and so it's hard to judge overtaking. Like I said, bumping cars slows you down and makes you stop, costs you time. There's also hazards on the roads themselves, which seem completely pointless. There's an area of the roads where there's these wheel spikes that just burst your tires. Why? I mean, maybe they're in the arcade, but they're just they on the arcade. Are, yeah. You've got, on the arcade, you've got more road to get, be able to get round them. In mm, this, yeah, it doesn't yeah. feel like you do. You've got a very narrow strip to get through, and your car's too damn big for the lane. Your car is as big as a motorway lane. And now, don't get me wrong, I've seen a Ferrari F40 for real, and they are quite wide. Like, Lamborghinis mm-hmm. are quite wide, but not that wide. Not, like, articulated yeah. lorry wide. So <laughs> so it's too cluttered, is, I suppose, the end result of all that. And because and you get cluttering, so it's not like you get... Sort of just, just always cluttered. It's just when things clutter up, it's cluttered and you can't navigate the space and you're going to end up slowing down or hitting something. There's no way around it because that's the only way to it. So your, your two modes of control in this game, either hit something, blind look, or, well, three modes, hit something, blind look, or you're slowing down. And slowing down, you know, two of those th- two out of those three things are going to cost you time. So that ain't good. Um, the music is okay. The sound effects are crap though. <laughs> no way around that. Apart from that one sound when you stop, when you don't, when you run out of checkpoint time. <laughs> It deafens you, other than that. And the sound effects actually are a bit pointless anyway. There's this kind of weak sound when you go past something and just they're a bit naff. And then there's the weather effect, <laughs> such as it is. Okay, kudos for putting it in. But you lose points for it being a weird blizzard of expanded sprites and flashing, like a flashing effect. Yeah. If you're going to put weather in a game, don't do it like that. Do it like they did in that football game. That, was all, that worked all right. Little like white lines at an angle. You know, I get the idea it's rain. Yeah. I don't need to just have this like blah, 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 it's flashing sort of load of dots appear before my eyes. I thought I was seeing things for a minute. I was like, what the hell's that? <laughs> it was like something out of Star Trek. I am the guardian of forever. Is that thing? <laughs> Reminded me of that bloody thing. Anyway, so yeah, kudos for putting it in, but you know, lose points for it being a crap version of that anyway. It adds nothing and it looks cheap. It's a good idea to include it, but it's a bad idea to do it like that. As you make the checkpoints, you get reminders and detailed, you know, and you get reminders that you're coming up to the checkpoint, text reminders. The details and colors do change when you go from one checkpoint to another. I noticed a little bit of a jump sometimes when you went through checkpoints as well. 
So it just suddenly went from like driving on the road suddenly, bing, oh, it's the background change in the sky. It's just, yeah, the whole thing no. just, just, just like, uh, where yeah, am I? Yeah, <laughs> like, teleported. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. And and I found that a bit disconcerting because in the arcade you get transitions, which you don't get in this. Maybe that's just a, you know, okay. But you could do raster bar colors and there's ways I'm sure you could have managed to do something with that. So you get the reminder change, but some of the basics issue, you know, the basic issue for this, this game is still always going to be there. Like I said, you run out of sound, run out of time, you get that loud noise. You've got three credits to play with, which comes up in a really cheap NAF screen. Out of all yeah. the razzmatazz and all the graphics and everything else, it comes up with this crappy, uncentered, just like little sort of three credits, yes or no. You know, play again, yes or no. It's really cheap. Come on, put the f-ing graphics in. <laughs> cheap skates. Pay good money for them graphics, put them in. And it wouldn't have taken much, would it? Um, and if you press yes, you try again. If you press no, you get to go, it loads the big map in, of course. So you get a loading time, then you get the big map and it shows you how far you got. You enter your name, nice little enter your name thing, and then it's repeat and then loading again because it loads in the levels again. Oh dear. Anyway, okay. So what does all this mean? Well, the, for me, the thrill of Outrun and Turbo Right One was there was their arcade presentation. They looked and sounded different at the time. Very bold, very technical presentation, really loud sounds, bespoke music, amazing bespoke music. Music I love to this day. And don't get me wrong, that, that initial loading music on the C64 is a version of Magical Sound Shower, and it uses samples, and it's pretty damn good, I have to say. It's seven minutes long, but it's pretty good. Mm, um, yeah, it is. But, you know, those arcades were a tour de force, weren't they? And funnily enough, I was thinking about this. They're generally what I used to use as kind of the arcade quality barometer. Now, is it as good as OutRun? Is it as good as Turbo OutRun? Is it as good as Sega had that kind of power? Now, you compared other games to Sega games in the arcade. In fact, mm-hmm. for a while, Sega were kind of the arcade play people, weren't they? They did the most amazing arcade games for a while, including Virtual Fighter later and things like that. I think that was that was Sega, wasn't it, and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Outrun for visual splendor, things like you know Space Harrier and things like that were hard to be yeah, beaten. Exactly. So they they became my quality barometer for arcades. You know, is it as good as Outrun? Is it because what are the graphics like? And they were because they were set in standard, as you heard from the hardware involved. They weren't frightened of putting some money into the hardware to make these things do what they wanted it to do. Mm. And this stuff to like in the C64, as you progress, you can add extras to your car, which assists you in the following stages. That's in this game, and it's a nice touch, albeit that you've got to load all these bits in. The speed of the graphics is okay on the C64. Um, They look okay for what they are, but they still have got that kind of whizzy, juddery effect, but it's not as bad as some of the games we've seen. It's certainly better than Outrun's sort of visuals anyway, in that sense. Mm -hmm. Background and side details, well, they vary massively. Some are okay, boring trees to... Stuff like that, but they whiz by, I suppose. So, you know, are they okay at sort of that sort of speed, such as it is? Yeah, okay. Is the game fast when you press the turbo button? I suppose is a key question. It's faster and it's okay, but it's uncontrollable. Mm. It's basically uncontrollable. So, you're going to hit something. So, don't expect to control it. You hit a sharp bend when you've got turbo button pressed, your car's f-ed, and so are you. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> so, you know, don't expect to win if you do that. Yeah. Um, I mean, okay. So, my final thought on this is this this was a bold step in the right direction. Okay, I'll, 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 I'll give it that. The colours and the tone are good. The presentation is up to the, you know, it was up to the standard. It's, you know, because I think the presentation up to the game starting, the presentation, the music and the graphics and all that, it's got a really nice vibe to it. It captures kind of an arcade sensibility right up to the point when you choose automatic or manual. And I think that's good. That's good. The loading is, it kills it though, but it's, it's, it is good in what it does. And when you get to the actual game itself, of course, it's significantly toned down from the arcade, but it does capture, I suppose, more of the feel of OutRun than outrun did originally so it's better than the original outrun is it a good turbo outrun game well it's just missing some of the key things the car's too big the road's too small the turbo's not fast enough you can't control the car properly those are kind of killer things aren't they so on top of that the loading for the disc on this that it can only be i didn't experience it on disc. i can only imagine the 1541 1571 going nah, 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 and driving you mad with its <laughs> clacky 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 and 
add to that, you know, the, you know, the sounds, and I think oof, I think you'd be doing you'd be doing yourself an headache. So a bit of a pain, but you know what? Without the arcade fire and brimstone, Turbo Outward just feels a little bit meh. It's just not quite. It's just not quite right. I think Turbo Outward needs its turbo, and without that, well, this is a step in the right direction for conversions, but it's not as competent or as well thought through or as well engineered as Power Drift was. And that is my Turbo Outrun thoughts. What about you? Yeah, I mean, to, to be honest, I, I never, I've never seen this in the arcade. I never saw it in the arcade, and I, I, I was always under the impression because I never really discussed it with anyone um, that it was one of those weird home computer-only sequels. I didn't know it was an arcade conversion. I thought ah. it was like, you know, like Target Renegade three, Renegade three, and Target Renegade, and things like that. We get these kind of weird okay. home computer sequels, and I just thought it was that. Mm. I mean, I've essentially been a fool my entire life as I found out. It's crazy. <laughs> but, you know, I'm glad I never actually discussed it with anyone because I would have sounded so stupid. Like, <laughs> I'd have been like, I was playing Turbo Outer on the arcade and I would have scoffed and gone, you're a madman. There's no Turbo Outer on the arcade. It's a home computer <laughs> version only. And then would have taken it. I know it was bad. Mm. Anyway, you had to admire the presentation in this. That's the good thing, isn't it? From the outset, it dresses to impress. Yep. Great title screens, yep. good options, and great music. It's got some of the best use of samples I've heard in a game so far mm. within its soundtrack. Those samples, we bemoan quite a lot. A lot of the time when we get like Hubbard and Galway started off in this, using samples and we do what they're doing, it doesn't sound good. And here they're used to really good effect and they work yeah. really well. Same with what Cameron said, with, I think Tetris as well used samples, isn't it? Um, yeah. And this does it really, really good. That, sound, that opening piece of music is not something I would normally have sort of gone, ooh, that's quite good, but uh, very good. I really did like it. Feels very polished. Feels expensive. It feels like they've put a lot of you know effort into this. Um, yeah. And I feel like the developers were actually given a lot of time, considering it comes from those responsible for the excellent Mister Helly. Um, I'm not surprised because that I thought that was a very good conversion as well, and a lot of sort of all the bits and bobs around that. Then you get to the game, and and I've written exactly the same as you. The car's too big. <laughs> it is. The car is too big. There's no way of getting around it. Ha uh-huh. um, ha. Hey. The car is too big, and the sensation of speeding up and slowing down is just not quite there. You don't no. really feel like you. You look at that. You know. You look at that uh, speedometer. You're like 200 odd km kmh miles per hour. Whatever. Don't know about that. Yeah, it doesn't feel like it, does it? It has the other problem because other cars on the road, well, they just slowly home in on you. It's like, do do do. I'm just driving back in, reversing yeah. towards you, yeah. and they just come towards you. Uh, so you can't, and because you're so big and well grown, slowing down to pass them doesn't work because <laughs> no. all, all they're because they're all doing over 200 miles per hour as well. And I know it's True. an arcade game, but these little trundly cars. That what are they souped up with? I mean, you're in a big Ferrari. You should just be going, <laughs> Have you ever been passed by a Ferrari on a motorway that's doing some proper speed? Like, I they're have. just a, they're a, they're a blink in your wing mirror, and then they're a blink in the distance. They're just gone. True. So, I don't know. You just hit them constantly, and it, it just ruins the flow of the game. You'll do the same with the trackside stuff as well, because you'll get flung off into it. You'll spin around. It's quite yeah. nice that if you do just clip them, you you only do a little spin, but you keep some of your speed. That's a nice yeah. touch. You don't slow you down, but hit them properly, and you'll be spinning for hours. So much spinning, <laughs> spinning, and spinning. It is good. I mean, technically, it's pretty good. It's great to see so, uh, so much stuff moving about smoothly. Um, I thought this was the equal of power drifting. What is actually getting flung about on screen with all the different things, and yeah, yeah some good yeah, movement. The, the weather and stuff is a bit meh, but at least it's there. They've tried. They've tried. Yeah, so commend them for trying. And, and what, you know, considering everything else that is going on. But all this is moot when your car is too big and it makes navigating this way harder than it should be. I also felt that the quality of the music at the start, excellent. I thought the in-game tune didn't fit at all. It's this twee tune. Yeah, sort it's of not as burbling. good, is it? No, I didn't like it at all. But, you know, there's some great technical work on display here. But like you said, it comes at a price with a rather intrusive multi-load, and that's on disc. I can't imagine what this was like on tape. 
Can you imagine this on tape? If like the disc drive got in the way of the thing, you can imagine how how it would be killed on tape to play this. I don't want to oh, think about it. Good lord! But I mean, in the here and now, it can be circumvented with the recently released and bug fixed, uh, you know, Easy Flash version. But it wasn't there at the time, and I can't I just can't imagine how it fared. But it's really awful. To me, it's another case of presentation winning out over playability in regards to the score. I think they've been wowed by everything that's going on, and oh, it's Turbo Outrun, and it's kind of all there, and and it's kind of there, but it's not a ninety-seven percent game, not for me. It's a decent racer. I think Power Drifter is better though, more impressive considering that was all one load. I think Power Drifter, yes, exactly, was, was uh, you know. That's fitting a quart into a pint pot or whatever it is, or pint pot into a quart. I can't remember what it is. Apparently, Chris Butler had to rest for nine moons. For that. <laughs> he had to regenerate for seven rels. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I did it. It's like, it's like Merlin. He rest. He had to rest for for nine moons. <laughs> I'm not surprised. It would have taken quite a while to fit all that in. Um, that's what that's what they said anyway. But yeah, I think Power Drift is is the better game. For me, anyway, I think this is impressive, and I think it it flatters to deceive. But I think it it that I want more road. <laughs> there needs to be more road. To get yeah, or past smaller, stuff. slightly smaller car, just or make the car slightly, slightly less wide. Yeah. Car, yeah. If they had that, then I think you'd have been onto something. Yeah. And yeah, the turbo really feel like a turbo very much. No, no, it didn't. I mean, it's, it had all the lights and sounds. It just didn't do the actions. <laughs> yeah, it just looked like it made the car fart. <laughs> It just was like was it, it really oh. did. It really did. Yeah, it was just a little uh, farty gas card came out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Trumpy outrun. Uh, there we go. Table out. It's, it's good. It's not ninety-seven percent good. It's but yeah, for me, it's it's probably ninety. It's a sizzler, but I don't think it's that. Yeah. Good. Well, I'd say let you know ninety the in the nineties, but low nineties. Mm. Yeah. It's if Power Drift was there, then this is it's the same. It's the, you know it's yeah. the same or less. Yeah. yeah. The, yeah, but if you want, you know, the late late nineteen eighty nine racing face off, should we say? I think was won by Power Drift. I think it's more fun. Yeah. It's more fun. And it's quick and it's fast, and you just get into it really quick. Yeah, and that's what load. you want with these games. That's what you want. Yeah. And Chris Butler made the right decision, I think. Yes, he did at that point. So there we go. There's Turbo Outrun. That's our first one this week. It was, it it's is. all right. It's all right. Let's let's move on to our next one, which in time on a tradition, I'm sure will be just as good. <laughs> <laughs> And that game, Graham, is Sporting Triangles. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> From those wizards at CDS and those further wizards at Mr. Micro, Mr. Micro, you remember them, comes the computer <laughs> conversion of everyone's second favourite sports quiz show of the 80s, <laughs> Sporting Triangles. Yeah, I barely remember this. No. I was like, Sporting Triangles? I, I'd be honest, I like both sports and quiz shows. And triangles. I've and noticed. triangles. I'm a big fan of the triangle and it's, uh, you know, it's geometric shapes <laughs> and it's propensity for being the strongest shape around for building stuff. Love them. Yeah. But I Love them. barely remember this. And we had, no. you know, you put an episode on to watch and I watched it and went, this rings no bells. Nothing. What is this? No. Anyway. It was a bit a bit quiet, I felt, but you know, I'm sure you know. <laughs> it was. Nick Ross did his best. And Jimmy Greaves' jokes. Tumbleweed. <laughs> like, oh my lord. <laughs> <laughs> they needed a studio audience. A, f- a friendly one. Anyway, Mr. Micro, you know you may remember they did the sixty-four version of uh, Karnov. Oh god. But that but that was at least that was that was someone else, because coding duties here are by Jason Heggie. And it's got music oh, okay. by David Whitaker. As the game loads, we get a version of the show's logo, which is actually very reminiscent of the show's logo. It's not a great yeah. logo. No. <laughs> um, it's too many triangles, but this but this is sporting triangles. <laughs> but it's a good version of the one from the TV show. Interestingly, if, if you had a show called Sporting Triangles, right, how many people yeah. would you think would be on each team? Well, I would say three. <laughs> no, you've got three teams of two. Oh, that's, you've fallen at the first hurdle. <laughs> 
to idiots use, to use a, a sporting <laughs> metaphor. It's just you've you've just collapsed. <laughs> you haven't made it over. Absolutely, honestly, you couldn't make it up. You couldn't. <laughs> pole vaults bent and broke. It's just you've all gone wrong. <laughs> but yeah, it's a good version of the the logo from the TV show. It's got three triangles on it. Anyway, get Great. used to looking at this though, because this got some. This game has got some severe slowing. Oh, oh my sake. lord! Yeah, it is a bit. Uh, once through this, we get to the setup, and here you can choose the number of humans playing from one to three. <laughs> In stitches, that. <laughs> if you pick one, you get two CPU opponents and so on. If you pick two people, there's always three people playing, three things playing. You can edit your name and the competency of the CPU opponents from average, good, or perfect. Who's going to pick perfect? <laughs> what does average even mean I don't in know. that context? I don't know. Because average is good, isn't it? Someone's oh, average you would think if you've good. got three three difficulties that the middle one is the average because the bottom and top one average them out. <laughs> yeah, that, medium and hard. Yeah, those those kind of the standards, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Once done, average. each player can cho- <laughs> can choose each. That was that. That reminds me of that Michael Gove, where um, every school should be above average. Yeah. <laughs> how's, how's that going to work, Michael? Because uh, every school should be above average. It can't be if the where's the average idiot anyway? Back in the triangle. <laughs> with the other person <laughs> um, once done each player can choose their specialist sport from a range of 12 different sports and the CPU if you have any play will do the same so you basically you've got a grid and the sports on there although some mm-hmm. of the sports are quite strangely named as well I seem to remember yeah. in fact that the, what, the one for, that has a bike on it is just called wheels <laughs> it made me laugh loads that <laughs> wheels wheels I love the sport of wheels <laughs> <laughs> loads of them have got wheels in <laughs> How many sports have wheels in? I'm often Loads. down the earth park at a weekend playing wheels. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Which kind of wheels are you on? Oh, motorised wheels now. Doesn't matter. What's done? You set the time limit for each question, and then you're on to the game, but not before. More slowed in. More yeah, slowed in. Slowed in. The slowed After in. waiting patiently, you each get to roll a dice. It's on the left. I think it's on the left of the screen or the right somewhere. To see who goes first, and then the game starts. At a save time, I'm just going to read from the manual on the order of events and what to do in each one because I could write it out, but it's, they've done it already. So basically, the rounds are arranged in the following order. There are seven rounds, and they are the standard. You get two standard question rounds. You get a hit for six round. Two more standard question rounds. A jigsaw p- picture question round and a quick-fire question round. That's it. In the standard question round, the main game is replaced by the game board screen. This shows the triangular playboard, the puck or marker, and the rotating die. Press fire will stop the die, and the puck will move on an appropriate number of spaces around the board. The question matcher will then ask a question of the category mm-hmm. indicated by the colour of the space on which the puck rests. Red, yellow, and green spaces are the sports of the three contestants. So when you've picked your... You're with the three because you've three players. Um, I'll get to the graphics in a bit, but the way this is, you each get given a color. It's not clear what color you are as well. The way that it's laid out on the main screen either. No, Took me it a while is not. To actually, spot what color I was. So you rolled the thing. There's there's four colors on this: red, yellow, green, and white. So if you land on a red one, you you red whoever's whatever specially spot the red one picks, and that's how it works. You basically just got to say the answer, and then it says you say to yourself, "Did you get it right?" And it, you know it's that kind of thing. So okay. So you go, and that's what you do. So you do that for a couple of rounds. That's the standard question round. And you go around, and everyone takes their turn, and you move around, and you get points if you get them right. In the hit for six round, the player is presented with seven possible answers and a clue. The player has six attempts to guess the answer. With each guess, a new clue is displayed, and the number of points scored decreases by one, from a maximum of six to a minimum of one. 
After the answer has been established, the game returns to the main game screen for the next turn, and then it's two more standard question rounds. Before we get to the jigsaw picture round, this uh, works in similar way to the hit for six round. It has the same seven possible answers, but this time the clue is a picture in the lower left of the screen. This is revealed in stages, a bit like the um, catchphrase catchphrase bit where you reveal each one each time. So it's a bit like that. Again, the score reduces from six to one with successes successive guesses finally you go to the quick fire question round where you've got a buzzer you it's a buzzer type round so this time you've all got to be crowded if you're three players you've all got to be crowded around the computer because the left contestant has to press z the center contestant has to press v and the right contestant has to press m to sort of buzz in to say the answer and then it's that's it then you get the final scores so after seven rounds it shows final scores and ask you if you want to play again but that's it standard quiz show nonsense so it does all that right so that's it that's how it works so I think this is clearly a port from the Spectrum. Yeah, just knock it in. <laughs> the visuals are all character graphics and very ugly with it. So the way this sort of presents itself is the main screen is... St- so you're not in teams of two anymore. There's just one person per per team, per colour. And it sort of just has them all three of them on screen. So it's like it's almost like um, there's one in the middle slightly raised and two on the left and right slightly lower down. And they're all very oddly drawn. And they've got, your, your colour is underneath them, and it's really not clear because it's all character graphics. So so there are big coloured blocks around people's heads and bodies, especially because it's got a white background. If they don't have white faces, then it's big. It's brown or yellow or red or weird colours around them because it's all character graphics. And it's high res, so um, that's a problem. The colour for each one, the colour, as I said, for each one is below them. But again, it's all character graphics. This doesn't work. This doesn't work in high res with triangles. There's a problem there with the C64 in that it's trying to sort of show you more than one color on a on yeah. a character, more than two colors on a character that's in high res, which the C64 can't do at this point in time. No. So it's a fundamentally bad choice when designing this in choosing high res and it gives two colors. So therefore, to make filled in triangles is never going to work because you've just got a, a black line across a square, <laughs> which is, yep. you know, looks ugly. Really ugly. I have no idea why they've gone to this style. Like I said, beyond the assumption that this is just ported over Spectrum graphics or something, and they've not bothered to actually change anything, like we saw with Karnov and crap like that. So that you know, it doesn't give a good for it doesn't give a good impression at any stage. We're not, and when we're not facing the players, we have the board. It's just a big triangle with some coloured <laughs> sections. It, I mean, it fares better than the players, but it's dull and boring still. And it's got an animated high res die on the left of the screen. Guess it's all right, but boring when we get to the hit for six round we get a list of options to choose and we get the same for the jigsaw puzzle round with an indistinct visual on the left to try and help us when that first appeared i was like what what is that it's so it's really small and indistinct and it doesn't give you any clue to what this sport is or the question is or anything like that and that's rubbish so that's quite crap the music is a rudimentary version of the tv show um Mm. and it is what it is it pops up every round for a little wake-up call just sort of pops up. So no, that's not good. Then we come to the questions, which are rock hard. They really are difficult. <laughs> I mean, really, really hard. Uh, you know, it, I have liked sport all my life, and I particularly liked watching sports quiz shows in the eighties and things like that. So I've got a fairly decent sporting knowledge. But you know, knowing who the nineteen seventy six Russian gymnast who came third in the balance beam, it's not something I'm going to know. <laughs> <laughs> you mean you didn't know that? No, oh, you should have studied. And I think it would have tested most people back then. But, you know, it's an honour system. So you say the answer, then it says what it is, and you confirm whether you got it right or wrong. And most likely, that's going to be wrong. These questions are so stupidly difficult. I mean, I I I get the least saves you having to type stuff in. So there is that. And if you're playing with each other, you know, playing against your friends, I guess, you got it wrong, you got it wrong, yeah, right. Of course you got it wrong. Everyone gets it wrong. Not that you're going to have three. If if you and two friends come round and you played this with them, 
they're not going to be your friends very long. That's for sure. There's not a lot more to say about this. I don't think anyone really cared about this back then. It's a poor man's question of sport on ITV. But, you know, because that's what it is. It's just a rip-off of question of sport, which we've been going for ages. ITV yeah. wanted a sports quiz show, and they thought, well, they've got two two sets of three. We'll have three sets of two and call it triangles. Yeah. Stupid, as we said. But, you know, <laughs> it did have the sporting celebs on. So it had Jimmy Greaves, yeah. Tessa Sanderson, and Andy Gray, I think, were the team captains in the episode we watched. And that leads to the, I'll say entertainment in the loosest possible terms, but it has, it's what you watch these things for, isn't it? It's what we said before about all these kind of panel quiz shows that get converted. You don't watch it for the questions. You don't watch these shows for the thing. You watch it for the no. interaction between the people playing, whether it's exactly. Nevermind the Buzzcocks, whether it's James Corden's, you know, what that sports show he does, whether League it's own, mo- yeah. Yeah, Mock the Week, whether it's um, Would I Lie to You. You watch them for the laughs of the people interacting. Yes. That's it. And you have a bit of a good time for half an hour. That's what you're tuned in yep. for. We check that out. We've said about all these games goes out the window when you're played on your own with two CPU players and the fun of the TV show is a distant memory. And I say fun of this TV show because I think it was a distant memory probably once you were watching it. Oh, this is <laughs> True. boring. If you did get anyone to play this with you, they'd have walked away long ago because of the boring loading. It's really slow. It's a misguided and pointless conversion of the boring and pointless TV show and really ugly to boot. It's just a massive nope. It cost £9.99. It was full price and it got 27%, probably about right, because some people probably would like this, but it's a dreadful, dreadful thing, all told. It's it's just rubbish and boring to boot. Nah, didn't like this. What about you? It was loading for ages. <laughs> It was just like, it was the loadiest game ever, wasn't it? It's still loading. I mean, it just took forever. And I'm like, I just, I'm not early into sports games. So this was always no, going to be not. a real difficult push. <laughs> I knew push. you would hate this. <laughs> it's, it's just, I'm thinking, look, you've got to make these games better than this, right? It was clearly a Spectrum conversion. And it was obvious because it was like Spectrum World. The trill tones of Dave Whitaker presented themselves. Okay, it was the version of TV film. Not that memorable and not that good. Stupid things like pick the competency for your players. Is he averagely competent? Well, that 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 doesn't really mean anything, does it? It's really difficult nope. to know what averagely competent anything means. Having sports selections like wheels instead of cycling and just stuff like that. Then when I did pick, because I picked obviously I picked boxing, um, obviously Calibos, and, and Calibos decided to go up against uh, Frank and Lee, who were the computer players. When it presented itself, it looked like three giant people sat on <laughs> thrones. One of which was, I think, meant to be Frank Bruno. Yep. Um, I don't quite get who they were meant to be now. Were they meant to be celebrities or were they the characters I picked? And if they were the characters I picked, why did Calibos come out as Frank Bruno? I don't get it. We don't know. So I don't quite know. Some, I think someone got the idea of the game a bit wrong at that point. Anyway, all the slowed in, you know, it took ages. It took five to 10 minutes to, to slow those questions in because it loads each round in, doesn't it? Round one, yeah. load in. So boring. Graphics, that horrible monocolor kind of, like you say, characters and high res and the white would have had a CRT TV screaming for mercy. Just look naff. No care, really. <laughs> Those rows of crap icons did make me laugh, though. And then there's that weird view, you know, the kings and queens on their thrones. It's just really dull, mostly silent with an honor system. Okay, no, I was never going to play this with anyone ever. Even if I went back in time, I wouldn't. So playing it on your own has got to be the very definition of you've got literally nothing better to do. You know, you're yeah. going to beat yourself. You're going to choose averagely competent people <laughs> and beat them. If you're doing that in life, if that's the if that's what makes you happy, <laughs> rethink your fucking life plan. <laughs> this was boring. <laughs> I'm choosing yes. averagely competent people to beat today. Um, no, boring, <laughs> boring, 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 boring. No, no, no. A pointless, pointless endeavor. Sporting triangles. Below no. average for a triangle-based game. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It is. You know, <laughs> it is engineers all engineering's all star. 
and they've done it a disservice. <laughs> all the angles, none of the strength. <laughs> no, it's got all the wrong angles, none of the it right has, angles. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, let's move on because still got one game to go through this part. And Graham, that one's over to you again. Are you? I, I know you're not, but this is xenophobe. <laughs> no, I'm not xenophobe. Um, <laughs> so this is uh, another arcade conversion. How many are there going to be? We just had loads recently, haven't we? They've All just of them. Like, landed Every like a big heavyweight. Every ever made. <laughs> so xenophobe was released for £9.95. It got 68% in Zap, though. Mmm, stinky fish. Uh, publisher was Micro Style. This was copyright Bally Midway. Oh, hey, Bally Midway. So it's the old arcade Bally Midway. There's a funny and very long and interesting history about Bally Midway, which I won't go into right now, but suffice to say that in certain part of their history, they were all kind of part of the gangsters and stuff. So they was basically set up by gangsters. Bally Midway. Well, they were they were merged with, you know, anyway, I won't go into it all. Go and look it up. It's quite interesting. The conversion was Visage Software. Visage, Visage. Um, the C64 version by Axel. It was apparently a chap called Alexander Brown. And the graphics were by Cookie. Um, so I don't know <laughs> if that's Mark Cook, Michael Cook. I don't know. Cookie. Cookie did it. It's Cookie. Bobby, Bobby Cook. Um, Oi, Cookie. Get a graphics done, Cookie. Right, I will. And then musician was Barry Leach. Good old Barry Leach. Reliable, friendly <sighs> Barry Leach. We like Barry. Good old Barry. So th- there is a blurb, and I've, I'm going to go through it. I may regret going through it, but I'm going to go through it. Okay. Okay. The introduction. Xenophobe is an action-oriented game embodying all that is best in microstyle games. <laughs> Which is, uh, anyway, <laughs> um, easy to play but difficult to master with a unique split-screen and two-player option. Yeah, the footnote there is that it was a three-player arcade. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, so Xenophobe is one, and this is the definition in the game, one who has a deathly fear of anything alien. Dun, 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 dun. Um, yeah. We call that in, in the UK nowadays, we call that the Prime Minister, don't we? But there we go. But anyway, politics, a bit of politics. Bit, bit of politics, <laughs> bit of politics. Anyway, the background here. So, Sticken thought ruefully about the earth he was leaving. An earth once mighty in his childhood years, now insular, polluted, demoralized, and dispirited. And that sounds okay. crappy, doesn't it? And crappy. <laughs> the proud forays... This is written in quite floral language, Adrian, this. Um, the proud forays into space during the 30s and 40s marked a period of expansion, an era in which the hope and aspirations of a thousand generations of humanity had been realized. Then, in 56, came the first of a series of disasters. The new Phoenix Mars colonists were afflicted by a mystery plague. Some say it was a Martian bug. Most blamed the Central Bloc and the Brazilians and Indians in particular. Okay. <laughs> Earth sensitive political Damn equilibrium them. was. De- <laughs> Why pick on them? Earth's sensitive political equilibrium was deteriorating with the emergence of new so-called superstates: India, Brazil, and Pakistan being the major powers. Why are they picking on them? India now ruling the whole subcontinent. I'm sensing some xenophobia here in this game. I'm just a bit. India now ruling the whole subcontinent with an iron fist and proving a major threat to both the new free states of Russia and China. Okay. Whether it was biological espionage by the central bloc, we'll never know. But nearly a quarter of a million souls lost their lives on Earth when its confident, possibly arrogant rush for the stars stumbled. Okay. Okay. In 58, 80 personnel of the small IO scientific mission were killed by a violent volcanic eruption from the surface of Jupiter. Indeed, 58 was a turning point for humanity. In retrospect, the skirmish was inevitable. But when war broke out between India and China, a limited nuclear exchange turned the green cities of New Delhi and Beijing 
into a vivid vision of hell. Can I just stop there, Roman? Is a Jupiter a gas giant? Yes. So does it have a surface to have a volcanic eruption from? <laughs> Who knows? Nobody can see that far in. The world's not that big. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Maybe not. Maybe it does. I don't know. What do I know? Something tells me that this person was very geopolitically motivated at the, for some reason. Anyway, it's only lasted a week and only 20 warheads were used, but the Earth was turned irrevocably towards a period of introspection. That's not the thing you expect them to say after a nuclear exchange. <laughs> now, you lot, I expect a irrevocable period of introspection <laughs> after that. Oh, you what naughty bunch. I've got to use Gibbs's cycle of reflection <laughs> to, to think mm. about what I've done. <laughs> How do I feel about this? <laughs> Kolb. What would Kolb say? <laughs> Why spend money on pointless crusades into the unknown when the cost is the spiritual destruction of the Earth itself? Throughout the free world, the planetists were in the ascendancy. Goodness me. With protection of the Earth, their major priority. So the huge orbital platforms surrounding Earth became largely derelict. Many with only maintenance personnel had small teams of scientists manning the platforms. Of all mankind's space colonies, only the moon exists as a living community. The moon shuttle being the only regular passenger shuttle, space shuttle in service. And now this, and now this. In 62, transmissions <laughs> of an unidentified nature were picked up at the edge of the solar system in the region of Neptune. It's not the edge of the solar system. Unmanned scanners and transmitters in the area quickly ceased their broadcasts, blinking out of existence at the same instant. Routine transmissions from the Europa Marine Colony ceased one week afterward. The effect Earthside was devastating xenophobia gripping the world. In some strange way, it unified the disparate bands of humanity into a common emotion. Fear. Was it the aliens who destroyed the Europa settlement? Did the mystery Martian virus have an extraterrestrial origin? Earth's political strategists now believe the aliens to be studying the planet from our own orbiting platforms. <laughs> Did I take this story for a quick book? <laughs> telling you, it's crazy. Absolutely crazy. Contact with the scientific teams on board has been lost. One microwave visual gave a frightening insight to the new inhabitants. Shikan Remin... <laughs> Shik that's, this is spelled S-C-H-I-C-K-N. That's Shikan, right? Shikan. Yeah, yeah. This name of a person, yeah, Chicken. So Chicken, who calls the hero of anything Chicken? Anyway, <laughs> Shikan's reminiscences were shattered by a sharp expletive by Korolski, or Quack, to his friends. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> Quack? I was just thinking about the microwave backgrounds and reminiscing, and you interrupted my thoughts. We've got chicken and the sound of a duck. Somebody <laughs> is bird-obsessed. Bird-obsessed yes. xenophobe who wrote this. A hero called Chicken and his best mate, Quack. I love it. Okay. Um, so anyway, by Korski or Quack to his friends, a native of the new, now extinct European colony. Look at the thing. The space platform was scarred, revealing damage done by the equivalent of high-energy laser cannons. Almost surgically, the space station 015 had an oval hole measuring around 100 meters in its upper ring. No one wants an oval hole in their upper ring, Adrian. Very <laughs> Not painful. measuring that big. Very painful. Not that big. So they're here. No one on Earth was prepared to even investigate or being paralysed by fear. Or just lazy. <laughs> <laughs> Our expeditionary force was a mixed bag of scientific idealists, embittered European mutants, and old spacers like myself were the only ones to take up the challenge from five billion people. Looking at the so-called combat crew, Chicken could not resist a smile. Here he was, the leader of the oddest band of mercenaries it was possible to imagine. To them, this was no adventure, no military campaign. This was a goddamn crusade. A crusade not just against the unknown, to some, like Quack. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, quack. <laughs> <laughs> quack, God's sake. 
<laughs> Shut your beak. Shut that beak, quack. <laughs> That's it, quack. Um, to some, like quack, it was a simple question of revenge. For most, it was a fight to give people of Earth a purpose, to save the world from xenophobia. Save us from this god-awful <laughs> nonsense. Just, you know what the, fa- the crazy thing is, right? That that was um, added, clearly, to because the arcade doesn't have a lot of that in it. That's just been added. Somebody wrote that specifically for this, I guess. Anyway, the mission objective. So let's cut to the chase, shall we? Finally. <laughs> The alien life forms are despo- <laughs> this. This is a word on the instructions, right? The alien life forms are despoilers of intelligent life. Despoilers. <laughs> Who uses that word? Despoiler in this context, this time of night. <laughs> this and that localized to to, to an instruction manual. <laughs> Have you been writing these instructions, Quack? Honestly, that's, doc- that's Doctor Quack to you. Um, anyway, so mission objective: eliminate the aliens. That's it. Um, <laughs> That's it, after all that, yeah. Number one, to exterminate all hostile alien life forms called Xenos that are thought to be infesting the derelict space stations and moon bases. Always with the moon base. Um, number two, to collect the various forms of hardware thought to be left on board the platforms and bases, which could help the human fight and be useful to the aliens. The appearances of the alien force is repulsive. You must avoid xenophobia. <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't what? Think I know what this means. <laughs> no. Anyway, the briefing then, because this I'm sorry to say this, but there is a little more, and I've got to do it because it's written in this crazy language, and Quack won't be very happy if we don't get through it. The power of the alien... So this is the briefing. The power of the alien force is unknown. Initially, only two of your team from the three squads will be sent in. It is for you to assess relative strengths and send in the two most appropriate personalities. The two combatants will report to the shuttle transfer room where the molecules of each combatant will be dematerialized and rematerialized in the base. Traveling from room to room and level to level by using the elevator, you must accomplish the first objective to exterminate the required number of Xenos in each level of base within a time, or else the pests will overrun the base. The length of time varies with the number of levels. The battle between the exterminators and the Xenos may result in three different outcomes. Outcome number one, time runs out. The Xenos overrun the base, and the base self-destructs after the exterminators return to the mothership via the transfer disc. Number two, the player, Exterminator, orders a fast destruct of the base to prevent it from being overrun by Xenos. The base is destroyed after the Exterminator returns to the mothership via the transfer disc. Law number three, player, Exterminator, clears the base of Xenos. The Exterminators return to the mothership via the transfer disc. So all of that guff boils down to kill everything. You can just yeah, put yeah. that, you know, could, they could just put, kill everything. Kill mm-hmm. everything. Do it. Kill everything. Okay. Glad we got through that. Thanks, Quack. Thanks for really help, Quack. <laughs> all right. God. Don't over-egg your pudding, Quack. <laughs> Right, you're not you're not that important. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> quack, God's sake. Anyway, um, so xenophobia is a bit an odd and somewhat obscure 1987 Bally Midway arcade designed by Brian Collin, who was the designer of the arcade Rampage. Oh, all makes sense now, doesn't it? Classed as a scrolling fighter, <laughs> this is a three-player split-screen game in the arcades that sees you aiming to seek out and kill a bunch of aliens level by level that have infested. A bunch of the star bases, moon bases, ships, and space cities. Kill the Xenos. The goal of each level is to defeat all the Xenos before a countdown timer runs out. Some rooms routinely display the percentage of alien infestation and time remaining until self-destructs when the level ends, but a nearby button can temporarily deactivate the countdown. If you find it, levels may contain more than one floor, and players use elevators to move between them, as described in the little bit of the instructions that was relevant. Players can also pick up more powerful weapons to help in their eradication of aliens. If you so wish, you can do that. The hostile Xenos are encountered in a range of forms beginning with pods. If pods hatch, they create a critter, which can attach itself to the player and drain health. If a critter is not killed, it eventually matures into a roller baby, which rolls around to attack the player character. These, in turn, can grow into snotter pillar form, which attacks by leaping or spitting. Nobody wants that, do they? 
No. In the arcade, there are nine characters to choose from in Xenophobe, three for each joystick or three for each player. The leftmost controller, you can choose from Mr. Embrace, Dr. Quack, and Colonel Poupon. <laughs> so that's Brace, Quack, and Poupon. You've got to choose from if you're, if you're, if you're going to be the red. That sounds like instructions <laughs> when your plane's going down. <laughs> Everyone, brace, brace, quack, and poop on. <laughs> you will hear the commands, brace, quack, and poop on. Choose who you poop on carefully. The middle controller features Mr. Fog, Curl Truth, and Dr. Udderbay. Fog, Truth, and Udderbay. Yeah, Udderbay. Depends how you want to say it. U-D-D-E-R-B-A-Y, so Udderbay. And the right controller features Mr. Ease, Dr. Zorders, and Colonel Shicken. That's not me. Oh, Mr. Chicken's back. Ease, Orders, and Shicken. <laughs> Mr. Ease. Mr. Ease. Mr. Ease. Mr. Ease. It's, 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 like, it's like Edward Nigma. Humans and aliens alike make up the playable characters. For instance, Dr. Quack has a duck's head. <laughs> oh, God. It does. Players are also colour-coded. For instance, the left player's choices wear red shirts, the middle player's yellow, and the right player's blue. That doesn't really work in the C64 version. I'm just going to let you know that. No, it doesn't. Okay. This was ported to pretty much every format on Earth, including the Atari Lynx at a certain point. Believe it or not, the NES. It's everywhere, this game. And there was an even Atari 2600 version in 1990. There is. It is literally on everything. I know, it's amazing. I guess the innovation here for the arcade was the notion of a three-player game in the way that they'd done it. So it was kind of... It's in three layers. So it's top, middle, bottom, and each player takes plays a layer. So that's how it's done. It's not independently as well. So that it's not like in Gauntlet where you're all chasing the same thing. You can actually sort of exist in the same layer uh, and do your own thing. So I suppose there's that. A bit more aligned maybe to the kind of spy versus spy type idea or maybe later Lego games, I thought, had that kind of idea. Yeah, yeah, I guess, yeah. It's just the idea that you can two people can play the same game in an arcade independently of each other and for the same goal, but not doing the same thing. That's you know, That was maybe unique at the time. Maybe there wasn't a lot of arcades doing that, I don't know. Mm. There's a cartoon styling that comes to this with the arcades. No surprises that it's three-player, of course, like Rampage, and has a similar kind of styling to the graphics in the arcade to Rampage as well. They have a look. There's no doubt about that. And this game has that look. So think Rampage, think what the graphics look like. Not obviously Monsters in Space, but that kind of resolution, that kind of colorization, that kind of style. Xenophobe fits into that bill, I think. Whack. Mm-hmm. Chap, chap, quack. <laughs> God, you can't say anything. <laughs> Honestly, bloody hell. <laughs> Cherry Valley is down the road from me, just saying. <laughs> anyway, um, sorry, I've, he's out of control tonight. It's like wild, fluffing his feathers and bloody... <laughs> Honestly. Um, so the C64 version, because that's all arcade stuff and all that. C64 version. A jaunty start, some twangy speech, welcome to Navo, and a punchy, if a touch shrill, title score with an okay loading screen of a bold game logo, which is clearly done for the game because it doesn't feature in the arcade as far as I can see at all, and an alien head. Bold, not great, graphics, alien head. It looked a bit like the beast from uh, Krull, but there you go. Mm-hmm. Anyway, then the title screen appeared, and first look, it's pretty decent, I guess. Some options to choose from, number of players, music or sound effects, difficulty, ammunition, start level. There's a nice rolling select effect on the text. That's quite a nice effect. It's got, got some production vibes to it. And some icons give indication. I like the difficulty icon being a flex and bicep. I thought that was quite an interesting little touch when you to up the difficulty, flex his muscles. Better than average, perfect or good, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not sure of the rationale for selecting limited instead of unlimited ammo, though. Couldn't quite get my head around that. But anyway, I didn't. I just selected unlimited. I figured that was maybe it's just, you know, maybe ups the ante of the game and makes it hard. I don't know. Maybe just people are out there that want to do that. But you use your joysticks to select your options. And then once you have it all ready, you click start. Obviously, the major difference for all the ported versions is that there is one or two players simultaneously for this, and you don't have a third player option at all. So the mm-hmm. spleen disgrace is therefore split into one strip or two horizontally. Mm-hmm. Then once you've got past that, you have to choose the character from the teams presented. Here you'll see your gameplay area, or sort of area slot, and three of the characters from the teams will walk on. 
You could choose from one of those as per the character names from the arcade. So exactly the same team names, Dr. Quack's in there and all the others. And you can press your Commodore key and that'll like send in a different set of characters to play. So you get to choose from all the characters that are in the arcade if you want to mm-hmm. play them here. The graphics give you the sense that the, what the game is going to look like overall at this point. There's a medium res kind of effect all the way through with a medium res limited color palette and a medium res blockiness that's a C64. It's not terribly done. There's some nice bits to it, but it is what it is. The game logo is still at the top. Your corridor view is kind of a 2.5D in a spaceship grays and whites. They do change and vary with the different levels with some windows in that have stars in and such. It reminded me like a blocky, uh, thinner, medium res version of Project Firestar in terms of the way the spaceship looked. Mm, a little, yeah. I can kind of, yeah, maybe... The characters all, handily enough, seem to have the same general shape and colour scheme with different heads, and they all animate a little bit weirdly, I thought. They don't so much walk as kind of stumble forwards, anyway. Yeah. But they're akin to the arcade, at least, and they are you know, they are the same character in the arcade, they have the same characterization, and you can choose from them. All right. Below your corridor space is your status line, which shows your points, remaining health, and two action functions, which are certain parts of the game will display or give you options. Action one things are like push button, fix gizmo, Break glass, insert key, lift, go up. Action two is pick up object and lift, go down. Okay, Mongo. (laughs) (laughs) That's the third option. Candy gram for Mongo. Um, uh, Not sure why it's done that way at all, really. It's weird why they've done it. The controls are a bit odd, actually, to say the least. Yeah. But at this point, at this point, when you're choosing the selection and things like that, it just says the word health and then the word joystick three times. There's some kind of indicator arrows and then the word points. It's like the UI that doesn't really mean anything at this point. It's like, what yeah. doesn't have a purpose at this point. You move your joystick and a floating indicator of the character's head will line up. If that character is the one you want to select, you press fire and go. The other characters will walk off and you'll vanish beam and then reappear, materialize exactly where you were and then loading begins, which is weird. Now, this is what threw me a little bit because I thought, oh, okay, we're going to the game. Not quite so much. <laughs> yeah. This is all preamble to the actual game. So once the game's loaded, you get a, you get a view that's more aligned to exactly how the arcade looks at this point. So all of that preamble stuff is kind of in the arcade, but not in the same way. So this this point, you get to the sort of arcade bit. The window displays text and game credits, more or less like from the arcade, where the status line is now, the status line has now another line of text above the previous one that gives additional options. And at this point, you can choose um, music on or off. Then you get the instructions for the level you're entering once you sort of go through that bit. And basically, it says kill everything before you run out of time, which you already know. There's also a beta objective, which is, which is a nice touch, I suppose, if you think about it. Here, you can recover valuable hardware again. It mentions it in the instructions. It's not explicitly sort of something you're going to really want to do anyway, but it's there. Um, and then there's more text. And then there's the game logo flashing and bouncing over the text, which is also from the arcade at this point. All feels like it's holding you back from just getting into it, though. Mm-hmm. Like, just let me play the damn game. It's like one thing, another, another. It's a bit of a typographic nightmare as well, that of epic proportions. There's text everywhere. I was like, ah! No more text. Get, get me into the game immediately. It's like a cover. It's like a zap front cover. <laughs> it is. There was text. There was reading text, and the logo appeared over it. Then it was bouncing around. Anyway, the transfer happens with a little animation, which is, I suppose, more or less from the arcade. It's like a space vehicle thing. I don't know. It looked like a like a little space cock shot out from another thing, uh, and then it shoots a little thing out, and it flies towards a distant vessel. It's of the arcade, I guess. But at this point, yeah, you'll see your health will go up to 2,000, and then the game finally starts. So when the game does start, you begin walking and shooting. (laughs) Each screen houses some kind of alien or aliens in varying stages of their development, and occasionally something to collect or pick up, with doors usually at the end of a corridor. You move your character with the joystick left and right, top corner is a jump, left and right, up is jump, up or action one, down is crouch or action two, 
bottom corners are crouched left and right. You will shoot in the direction you are facing and you can adjust the angle you are shooting at by moving the joystick up or down just after you shoot. It's not a great system, I'll be honest. It's quite, no, no, it's Convoluted, not. confusing and crappy. And they're not the good things. <laughs> you can shoot it out with the aliens, pick up objects. Some of these objects are indicated by letters. P is for phaser. L is for pistol. Stupid. <laughs> it's a bit naff, as these are really poor indicators, as are some of the other objects you collect, which increase your score, but you have no idea what they're for or what they do. Some of the background details of the corridor will have things you can switch or interact with. It's not immediately obvious. And you can use your up actions to do that. Um, use your down actions to pick up. So action one does the up things. Action two does the down things. Some will open doors, and there are some indicators of your remaining time on some of the screens in some levels with a countdown clock. As you wander from screen to screen, they scroll across a kind of a sliding style, sort of same as the arcade, and you must navigate and kill things. And some of the alien types are harder to kill than other things. Some seem impossible to kill, and sometimes I think you maybe you're just meant to avoid those. I don't know, but the idea is you've got to kill everything, and I don't quite know. I was shooting at one thing for ages, and it wouldn't die, so I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's all a bit odd. If the aliens touch you, they'll reduce your health, Some plus some... Um, well, some will annoyingly bounce you backwards, which is something I've really come to loathe in Commodore 64 games when I'm bounced backwards onto things. Uh, just, you know, don't, don't, no, the Barbarian 2 effect. Or gives me untouchables flashbacks. Yeah, or untouchables. Yeah, don't make me do that. So it plays all right for what it is this. It's not bad, terrible. And it does have some nice graphics, albeit tiny versions of the arcade. They're, they're quite, for what they are, they're okay. It moves around okay, I guess, even with its really weird controls. And there's, I suppose, a sense of pace because you're on a time, down, time countdown, so you've got to get things done. It's colourful, I'll give it that. Leans into the arcade a lot, which isn't saying a lot, but it does have a look. And if there is going to be a look that it has, then this game kind of leans in on that look. So, okay, it's, it's kind of there. Mm-hmm. But the game is dreary. And this is clearly an issue of the arcade because when I looked at the arcade in YouTube, the arcade looked boring as well. Um, three player, maybe this was fun. Two player, Maybe it's good. One player, boring and samey. <laughs> You're saying it's average, good and perfect. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. It is. It's the, Honestly, it's the sporting triangle of the game. <laughs> so it's just, I don't know, it's, it's just, you know, samey boringness is not really my favourite thing. I like the UI. It adds some nice high-res details, and I quite like that. I quite like it when, the, when you've got really nice high-res colorization. when it's done right, it can look okay. And at least they try to capture the essence and colours of the arcade. And I think they probably just about achieved that in, in Commodore 64 world. The sounds and the music, while odd, are okay, and it plays out okay, but it's just walk, shoot, pick up, walk, go through doors, shoot, repeat. And it's that over and over and over and over again. And maybe if that's it, okay. In the arcades, you can kind of get away with that. Because by their nature, they're designed to give you short bursts of play and then demand another coin. So you can make a decision. I played it a little bit. It's all right. Don't want to put another bit of money in and play mm-hmm. a bit more. I can do that. That's kind of the arcade thing. When, you've just con- when you can just keep on trucking in a game like this, will you actually want to becomes the question. I don't think you will. It's a competent version of an average and relatively unknown arcade. But that insane art, is it? And as for the instructions, the only person I've seen who writes <laughs> crappy instructions like that is that guy from System 3. Yeah, you know, I think I think it takes a lot to beat. Is it Mark Kale? Yes. Mark Kale's yeah. instructions. Um, I made the mistake of reading the ones, by the way, for uh, a game that we're going to look at in the future for myth. Goodness me. Anyway, <laughs> we'll deal with that later. But <laughs> this one's bad enough. But what did you think of Xenophobe? What the hell is this game? <laughs> it's got one of the most cute, confusing UIs I've ever come across. <laughs> I was like, what? It just kept flashing. And, I was like, and it's also one of the loudest games I've ever played on the machine. It's so loud. Um, it is loud. It's just the, that music kept cutting in, or whatever it went. It's at the beginning, 
I mean, I looked at the arcade version. I'm still none the wiser. Just no. just choosing someone to play left me somewhat bemused, and I had no <laughs> idea how to navigate the incredibly loud menu screens. That tune kept stopping and starting all over the place, and then I was in a game <laughs> running from room to room, shooting stuff and picking stuff up, and God knows, God God knows what was going on. Just <laughs> I have no idea. The whole experience has led me to. I just wanted to go sit down in a dark and quiet room for a while to recover. I was like, oh, I feel, I feel, I feel overwhelmed. <laughs> oh, God. It's so loud. I mean, it looks okay. There's some nice medium-res visuals and stuff, and every, yeah, yeah, but everything's yeah. just so busy and full-on all the time with aliens wandering about and no real indication if you're doing damage to them nope. or not, no real explanation <laughs> of what you have to do, what is going on. There's text flashing all over the place. There's stuff. I, I, God, well, I, I was just lost. I, I, I was I played it. I was like, I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> I can't believe this is an arcade game. It feels way too convoluted for that quick 10 yeah. year go thrill that you'd be after. Yeah. And even here in the home computer space, it still feels really over-designed and messy. And that's the problem with it. Yeah. It feels messy. There's some good, there's lots of nice effects and stuff all around the place. But the problem is it's a Homer's webpage of a game. <laughs> it really is. Quack will not be happy with what you're saying, by the way. <laughs> okay, quack. Yeah, I'm telling the truth, quack. You can quack all you like. <laughs> but there's so much going on in this sort of thing. It's, you can't, content, there's, there's so many things vying for your attention at any one moment. You're like, what am I looking at? But eventually, essentially, all this is is run from room to room and shoot stuff. <laughs> yeah, it is, yeah. Left to right. Well, they just put that, put that in the instructions. That would have been way more palatable than that garbage they wrote about all that I'm just looking at China. one of the screens and it's like, underneath your underneath the page you're going, you've got a, a joystick up command, a joystick left and right, and a joystick down and points. And it's like, what does all this mean? Yeah. What does yeah. it mean? <laughs> It's like just, uh, but that comes, from, like you said, the problem there is that this comes from the arcade game. If you played this in the arcade, and I don't believe anyone ever has because it's so obscure, but maybe some people have. It, it, arcade games are built to be instantly within yeah. three, four, five seconds. You've got to know what you're doing. Think of the classic arcade yeah. games: Golden Axe. I walk some way and hit monsters. Green Beret. I run along and stab stuff. This should be like what? What's got a? Who? What? What am I no, doing? You'd be lost. I didn't get on with this, and I still need a paracetamol just thinking about it. <laughs> Gave me a headache. <laughs> I just, yeah, and that story for the the setup is just, just nonsense. You mean this game drove you quackers? <laughs> yeah, it really did. It did. Uh, hey, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just want to go sit down. Oh, xenophobe. Just crazy. What a crazy, crazy game. No, it's not bad. You'll develop a quack habit playing that. <laughs> probably will. You need one. I mean, it's 68% it got, didn't it? And I think that's because they sat there went, what do we give this? Dunno. 68. Give it the two-thirds score. It's got two right angles and a wrong angle. <laughs> <laughs> give it the two-thirds. Yeah, it's totally that, isn't it? Yeah. You can see these games sometimes where they don't know what to do with them, so it gets to 60, mid, mid, mid to high, sort of high 60s, low 70s. You know they're the games they're not sure about. They're like, uh... Yeah. I think uh, it's, uh, I is it good? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's funny, so I've cried for no reason. Yeah. Just give it, bloody girl, give it 65 or something, 68. It would explain a lot. It would explain a lot. Mm. There we go. That's our first three games. This has. seems like a long part, but that's uh, our first three. We're going to go take a quick break. Right. I'm going to have a paracetamol and sit down in a dark room. And then we come back. We're going to look at music for, you know, Christmas, December 1989. So please do stick with us. Welcome back. 
get some music going. Ah, December yeah. 1989. <laughs> <laughs> ah, yeah, all right. Ah, yeah. <laughs> ah, yeah. I'll tell you what you might like, Graham. Number one singles. <laughs> In at number one for the first week, it was You Got It, The Right Stuff, New Kids on I the Block. I don't like it. Oh, do you not? Young men in baggy pants jumping in sequence. What on earth is this all about? I don't know. Didn't I say about this? Is you shouldn't start a video with a demented scarecrow or someone. Well, see, I thought that, but that was the other New Kids on the Block one that they released, the previous one. Oh, I wasn't think it? That, was, um, that wasn't the right stuff. That was um, the other one, wasn't it? That was the other single they released. I don't know. Anyway. Oh, I don't know. From the producer, Morris Starr, this. Okay. <laughs> he, he famously uh, produced New Edition, the American band, boy band, New Edition, or men band, boy band, I don't know what you call them nowadays. And then he had a big fallout with them. And so this was his this was his triumphant return to another boy band, albeit this time he chose, obviously, um, different ethnicities, should we say. But either way, it was um, a very a sound of its time and all that kind of stuff. Not a sound that I liked and still don't. So, no. No, no, no. Not for, it wasn't for us, let's just say. After that, the following week, for one week, you had Let's Party by Jive Bunny and the Master Mixers. Honestly, Master Mixers. <laughs> Canny music producer hides behind Cartoon Rabbit and co-ops 60s rock and roll songs with similar BPMs. Arsehole. <laughs> for the last three weeks of the month, <laughs> say no more. It was Do They Know It's Christmas by Band-Aid 2. Oh, gosh, this. Or, or elastoplast, as they were called. Yeah, exactly. I went down a bloody Band-Aid rabbit hole. We've had, we've had a bit of a discussion about this, haven't we? Because this is dreadful. Well, let's just get it out of the way. This is dreadful. This is dreadful. I mean, let's not, let's not, let's not you know, pull our punches. Awful. Yeah. I mean, the cause is noble, without question. We're not knocking yep. why it's done. No. It's raising money no. for a very good cause. That's all great. However, they've yes. butchered a very good song. <laughs> Just a bit. Because they've given it to uh, Stock Aitken and Waterman. Yeah, and I, I can see why. I can see for the currency at the time, because they produced yeah. everything. Yes. And all of the acts in it are Stock Aitken and Waterman acts. So it's an easy licensing, you know, how do we sort of licensing out for all these acts? They're all under one like record label. Oh, that makes things a bit easier. Yeah. But it is awful. It's a poppy, popped out version of, a good song. I mean, do they know it's Christmas? Isn't a. It's a good song for what it is. The original. It's a very original. good song. I really like the original. But yeah, good. And it's got a good, really good sentiment and everything else. This version, oh, so bad. It's got bad people in it. I mean, Kylie's in it, fair enough. But there's some. There's plenty of people who shouldn't be in there. No. So Cliff Richard's in it because he's stuck aching a Waterman at this point, and he sold his soul to bloody Waterman. Yeah. So, but when it was just what got me about it was the fact that they they changed the phrasing. Like, try to make it their own. It's like, don't do that. Because no. it worked perfectly in the first song. And everyone, the first song had become so synonymous and well-known. Like, when you start yeah. going and you start singing it in a different way, it's like, no, 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 yeah. no, no. It's yeah. not good. So I, I thought this was just dreadful, just dreadful. Yeah, and then later, I mean, that wasn't the end of it, though, because this was the second re-release, this one we're talking about, for 1989. Then mm -hmm. there came another one in 2004, mm -hmm. which was Band Aid 20. Now, none of these versions are going home with a glory medal, let me tell you. No. That this one, it is, it's bad in a different way, bad. It's bad from halfway through. I think the first half is, is better than anything in that Band Aid 2 Thing. that's the thing i think the first half is up to the point when the rap appears <laughs> i think it's all bad at that point the piano's too loud i can't stand that boring singer from coldplay starting it off it's christmas and it zooms in too close to his face in the video way too close <laughs> and he goes up his nose pull back you don't need to be that close to him it's awful and yes you're right as then so the first part's not great but it but it's passable i suppose it's trying to capture the sentiment and then things go wrong now yeah rapping in there then that clown shoe from the darkness starts singing it you know ear pitting pigeon murdering shriek 
and his high-pitched squeaky guitar steps in it's all going wrong 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 it's not good it's not good i mean you've said you know you've got some big hitters in there you know super tramp like you said Bono. Not super tramp um did i say super tramp it's not super tramp yeah. it's uh it's not super tramp it's um oh i've got what they call sugar oh what they're called the sugar did, babes uh, no they well i think they're in it but it's, they did um we are young we run free Keep our oh, teeth. Supergrass. Supergrass, not Super Tramp. That's what I meant. But yeah, so it's got, but it has got some reasonable heavy hitters in there. Travis, which was Travis, a Blake yeah. Seven enemy, as as far as I was as I was concerned. Anyway, yeah, so radio, it's got that Radiohead. Radiohead, but they're not they're not things that are going to save that song. They don't, and, and unfortunately, they don't like. We said the sentiments, okay, but at least it's not got Cliff Richard, and he said that, and I thought, okay, maybe you've got a point because why is he even in it? Why is he even <laughs> exactly. there? Then when I went further down the rabbit hole, I found Band Aid Thirty. Oh, this is, that's, oof. Which was released in 2014, and it is truly, truly horrible. Yeah, yeah. Now, it's got some good singers in there, people who can really sing. So Rita Ora's in there, she's a good singer, no denying it. But there are other people who, not so much, Sam Smith kind of honks his way through that. Is <laughs> that honking? Like, what? Is he singing words? <laughs> you'll, be, you'll summon quack. <laughs> quack. Quack's probably in it. Bono's in there again, you can't keep him away, can they? Mm-hmm. It's just awful. And apparently the reviews of the, Band Aid 30 were really bad, to which they swore they'd never do another one unless they do the original bunch and they do it live, or whoever's left of the original bunch and do it live. So, I don't know. It's a bit of a mixed bag, in it? I went down that rabbit hole and it just just re-released the first one. I don't get why you need to try and contextualise it. And by the way, in that god-awful Band Aid 30, they changed the lyrics. They actually changed the lyrics of the song. Yep. I mean, what balls, what brass balls have you got to change a song for charity at Christmas time? Change the lyrics. No, no. no. You stink, Bono. You stink, Bono. I'm just blaming him for no reason, really. (laughs) (laughs) If that's that's even your real name, Bono. It it was number one for three weeks, which is fine because it raised lots of money. But the original is is still the best. Well, yeah, yes, exactly that. Number one albums. Well, I say albums, it's album. Uh, It's just But Seriously by Phil Collins all month. His face made me laugh on the front of that. (laughs) It was a meme before it was a meme. So yeah. I, I I created a couple of memes. We'll show them in the... Uh, now, one of those two is a triumph of AI. Can you tell which one it is? I'm going to say the one on the right. Yes, it the is. One yes. with the eyebrows moving. Now, to get, to get uh, Phil Collins to look like he does in that image, and we'll put it in somehow into the show notes or something, I asked the AI to change the image as if the man in it was smelling a really bad onion. <laughs> That's the image he came up with. Genuinely, that's real. That's the truth. That is true. The one on the left, I changed his arm title to the egg. I did that one just for to see what happened. But uh, that other one is, that's AI. AI generated Phil Collins smelling a bad onion. (laughs) There he is. But seriously. Anyway, it's not a very good album. It's music for dinner parties. Yes. Anyway, uh, let's get some singles. 3rd of December, in at number five was Get a Life by Soul to Soul. Uh, It's a Soul to Soul song. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so 10 seconds in, you know what's going to be. Yeah, straight away. 10 seconds in. I counted. And the drum beat like starts. I do like this observation you've made, though, on their uh, name. I think uh, this needs a bit of exploration. It's quite so good. their logo is Soul to Soul, right? That's the band name. And there's, there's, in their soul, it's not the number two or the word two. It's two letter I's, as in like a number two. Mm-hmm. However, you and I both know, coming from programming type backgrounds, and there are probably yeah. people who listen to this podcast that would also think this, maybe. That that isn't the symbol of two. That's the that's the logical operator for an or a boolean or. Yeah. So technically, that means their band name is actually Soul or Soul, which makes no sense whatsoever. None. So this no. is a boolean unfriendly band. 
sorry. <laughs> it is. It is. It's a zor. <laughs> it's not even an exclusive or. It's just. It just shouldn't be. You can't have. You can't have soul or soul. No, you can't. You know, you guys have to have one or the other, and you can't. Well, this one's the same as the other. It's just a point. It's a pointless command. If it's soul or soul, exactly. No, what you've no. got there is a boolean bastard, <laughs> and we don't like them. We don't like them at all. We really don't. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, that's niche. Um, in at number seven is when you come back to me by Jason Donovan. Donovan. <laughs> Jason Donovan, yeah. It's the saw formula, isn't it? So, it is. Um, yeah. And there's a bit Stock at the beginning of this where they overlay several Jason Donovans in different actions, <laughs> which I've taken a screenshot of. It's just, I don't know what they were thinking. <laughs> well, I think on the one, this one on the left that looks like he's, he's tickling the ass cheeks of the one next to him and he's farting out a cloth. Yeah. Which has made <laughs> the like... one on the, which has made the third one jump in shock. <laughs> well, the fourth really one weird. films it. <laughs> yeah, weird. And that, yeah, it's just a bit odd, isn't it? Chroma key all the way. And just adding a Christmas bell sound into a song or a bell sound doesn't make it a Christmas song, but they did that a lot. This was a cheeky way of Christmasizing a record, wasn't it? So it's yeah, got that. It was, yeah. It's got yeah. that effect, yeah. Um, at number 16, You Surround Me by Erasure. Not a song I like at all by them, this. No, mm. it's weird, isn't it? Again, more chroma key usage. It is running rampant at this point. Over chroma key in this. A giant yeah. cake stand, for goodness sake. And there yeah. is lots of Andy Bell Andy Bell arm wave in this as well. He's got that arm wave going. It does he does his arm around. wave, yeah. He does. And clearly he's eating all the cakes on the cake stand because his outfit looks a little bit snug, a little bit tight, <laughs> a little bit tight well, around the edges there. Just, uh, you don't wear that type of pattern, do you, when you're for, you know, at Christmas? You wear no. loose-fitting loose plain clothes. Exactly. He's got. He's had a little bit too much Christmas, as we like to say there. He probably um, has. Um, so there you go. At number 18 is the Amsterdam EP by Simple Minds. This was a travesty. A cover of, there's a cover of uh, Prince's Sign of the Times on that, and it's horrible. So avoid. It's horrible. Yeah, avoid that. Number 21 is The Miracle by Queen. Uh, not great, <laughs> is it that? <laughs> the it all went a bit, bit wrong. <laughs> it's a bit like someone thought it'd be cute and funny, but it's uh, it's kids dressing up as pop stars, which never ages well. well. Yeah, as, as Queen, as Queen through the ages, isn't it? As Queen through the ages, but it's the mustachioed, leather-clad Freddie Mercury child. That uh, yeah, I was like, oh. the sort of the the little boy child in his sort of leotard. I was like, oh, this isn't very good. And then it went to that. I'm like, oh, here we go. He's in the blue oyster bar. It's not a good look. Bit disturbing. <laughs> yeah. And then couple that, the song's boring. Yeah, it's a really dull song for them as well. They're not yeah. going in a good phase at the minute at this point. No. Number 27 is Sit and Wait by Sydney Youngblood. The only other hit from Sydney Ford, a.k.a. Sydney Youngblood. Yeah. Um, the producer for this was a German guy called Klaus Zundel. I did not Better know known that. as The Brave. And he was also better known for a series of albums he made around the chants and dances of Native Americans. There you go. Who knew? I yeah, thought this was inoffensive but bland. Yeah, exactly that. I just didn't figure that a German, native German would know a lot about <laughs> Native American chants, but apparently they do. Apparently Who they knows? Do. Uh, and at number 30 is Donald Worsha Truses, 1989. Uh, yeah, you've, you've found a good blurb about that, I see. Yeah, so this seems to... I mean, obviously it's the re-release of the old six one. Donald was your truces. And we thought it was an advert. Wait, I seem to remember oof, it was an advert. But, yeah, yeah. Um, but it it's actually, this, the, the re-release happened when BBC DJ Simon Mayo played the song on the Radio 1 Breakfast Show in November 1989. It's gone to Wikipedia and then responded to listeners' requests for replays. We were in the mood for novelty nonsense, so we kept playing it, he said. Sonic Records then quickly arranged a deal with the EMI to release a song on the Stone label as a Christmas single, a market in which novelty songs often did well. 
Mayo continues to give it much airplay, and the song was number four in the UK singles chart at Christmas. So there you go. That's there how it's got in the charts. That's the British, that's the state of British music, isn't it? We love our novelty nonsense, and it can be turned around that quickly. Um, there yeah. you go. Number, number 35 is Whenever God Shines His Light by Van Morrison and Cliff Richard. Right. <laughs> this, this thing. <laughs> Your comment, it made me laugh loads. Cliff Richard lost in his local Dunelm. <laughs> it, it did look like that. It's like, he's, he's, yeah. you know, it's like someone needs to help him. He's got lost in the curtain section. Yeah, he's, he's trapped in the voile, isn't he? He's like, ah, ah, cut my phone out. Ah, ah. I mean, what an awful song that, isn't it? Definitely the product of two drunken producers on a night out who said, we should get Van Morrison and Cliff Richard together. That'd be great. And that became flesh. And it, <laughs> it is did. not great. It is not. What I want to know what language Van Morrison is singing in. Because <laughs> um, it sounds like I thought he was trying to raise demons. He did. <laughs> yeah, Cliff Richard. <laughs> yeah, he appeared. He wasn't even in the video originally. He started singing his little chant. And with that, he summoned the Richard, didn't he? <laughs> summoned the Richard. It's <laughs> like brought forth the dick. <laughs> <laughs> well, you summoned him. He came. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It really uh, is. Cliff Richard came. Oh, <laughs> uh, did he? Oh. <laughs> Get the mop, Deirdre. Richards has been in again. <laughs> uh, he's left his mistletoe wine all over the floor. <laughs> Whack. Quack. Don't go. Oh, he's got his feet in it and everything. Don't paddle it round. Absolutely. Oh, God, it's like super glue. Never get that off. Not with those webbed feet. Goodness me, that's like dry toothpaste already. <laughs> Number 38. <laughs> it's the Hit Mix. The official bootleg mega mix by Alexander O'Neill. Very of its time. Very nightclubs of the 90s that. Brown Sauce probably know more about the origin of all that. So yeah. the, there was a bit of a trend. There's a load of um, Alexander O'Neill tracks of that time mixed into one hit. So they did yeah. quite a few of those. We'll come across a few of those now, I think. But there's, this is one of them. Um, it's all right. I heard it yeah. loads when I was going out and about in clubs at that time, so. Yeah. Number 39 is Broke Away by Wet, Wet, Wet. Yeah. A gushy brown <laughs> splasher of a song. <laughs> Quack, be careful. <laughs> no! Oh, no. <laughs> uh, um, old Knee Neck is here to please one of our patrons' wives. <laughs> yeah, somebody, I noticed one of the patrons had put that, that we were yeah. upsetting his wife because she liked Wet, Wet, Wet. Well, yeah, well. It's a- <laughs> All women liked Marty Pello and Wet, 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 didn't they? They did, yeah. It was like think, a rule. Next time you think of him, though, just think of the gushy brown splasher of <laughs> 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 washing what sits. <laughs> did it Did it look like you to you they were performing parts of that video in a Turkish prison cell? It did to me. Yeah, I saw them filming uh, Midnight Express in the background. Exactly. So, uh, Hence yeah. the gushy brown splasher, I guess. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in at number 41 <laughs> is 20 Seconds to Comply by Silver Bullet. Wow. Last, a good track, this. Brilliant rap record. Oh, and I remember Brown Sauce being very effusive about this and bring forth the guillotine, which was the other track by Silver Bullet, I think. Um, it was, we were raving, you know, this was a great track. We loved it. It mixed Robocop and rap. You know we're going to like that. That's, yeah. you know, that's fodder for Gary and, you know, us filmy nerds, Robocop nerdy people as well. I mean, you must like it as well. Features in the main fight sequence in the film The World's End, if you're wondering what it sounds like. It is a, I'm not a big rap fan, but I listen to this and it's, I 
thought this was very good. I like its ferocity. Yes. Just takes no prisoners, this song. It's just like, yes. here we go. As soon as he gets going, that that guy can rap at a, a, a pace with some power. I think he was famous for being a really fast rapper. I remember Gary telling me all about Silver Bullet. Pretty, I think he's English, British guy. He's very good. Pretty amazing stuff, actually. And it's like I said, the follow-up to that, as if I remember it, or it could be the one before it, because I could have the lineage of these. This is where we need brown sauce to correct us, but... He did a track called Bring Forth the Guillotine, which was kind of like, Bring Forth! And just as angry, actually. But yeah, um, no, very, really good. very good stuff. Really good, yeah. Recommended. Mm. Unlike at number 42, which was Listen to Your Heart by Sonia. <laughs> More numbers by the old uh, Stock Aching and Walkman again, wasn't it, this? Yeah, it's just... Ugh, ugh. <laughs> she wasn't stalking anyone in this one. Well, no, well, no, because they'd, they'd uh, replaced all the... There's just no people apart from her in the video, aren't there? They just had suits dancing. Yeah, she's been trapped in a cube. Yeah. <laughs> she really has in a nightmare of uh, of horrible clothes. Just trapped in a charity shop, trying on all the clothes. I bet that was actually real. She just went into a charity shop and just took over. Like, is she ever going to leave? Get her out of here. You know, she's, <laughs> she people aren't coming in because of her. She's upsetting everybody. She's stalking the uh, clerk. I suppose she broke the, the singer archetype, right? In many ways. I'd say it was progressive. Yeah. If only I spoke her vetoes, which I don't. But you don't. Number 45 is Living in Sin by Bon Jovi. Good track, that is, by them. Yeah, it's all Good, right. You know. Yeah, good. Yeah, good, good ballad. Uh, heavy on sleeveless tops in the video, though. <laughs> they were well into it, weren't they? They were well sleeveless. <laughs> There's barely any material on uh, Sambora's top. He's, he's got a mass. He's got a, a low neck down to his belly button. Well, you know, he isn't actually wearing a shirt. That's just the way his skin forms. It's weird, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> He's got a natural body shirt. <laughs> it's, what, it's all the sweat that's built up from Bon Jovi flicking his hair at him. Oh, God, yeah, it's formed like a lacquer. A lacquer, uh, lacquer. Anyway, uh, good video, heavy on message, dodgy black and white stuff in it. Lots of fingers in mouths, but a really nice guitar solo in there, and they're along the way. It's not bad. It's a good song. They, when they do a ballad, they're like Aerosmith. They know what they're doing. Those yeah, that, that chorus is a proper cracker. Yeah, it's it is Christmas really good. cracker, that one. Good, good it chorus. Is. Number 50 is La Luna by Belinda Carlisle. Hmm. Is this her La Isla Bonita? Uh, yeah, I suppose, yeah. I guess it's that kind of slow vibe in it where they're trapped on a slow, bed. sort of Latin, sort of Spanish-type vibe to it, that sort of Spanish guitar. She's obviously gone stay the night at Sam Fox's house because she's trapped <laughs> in a bed with a giant wind machine again. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, just take that wind machine out of your bedroom so people can sleep at night. Absolutely. Bloody hell, Fox. Fox! <laughs> Fox. A uh, bit of a saucy video on it. She's glued to the bed with what we don't want to say. I yeah, think it's Teenagers uh, Dreams. Richard, uh, <laughs> sorry, Cliff Richard's uh, Mistletoe and Wine, I think. <laughs> Ugh, goodness <laughs> me. That's, that's the stuff of nightmares. Yeah, it really is. Number 53 is Uninvited Guest, speaking of that, uh, by Marillion. Uh, the, the Marillion fans will like that one a lot. It's not terrible, but... Uh, Trad Dad Rock. Yeah, it is properly, in it? It's just kind of, you know, it's, it's the Marillion effect. It sounds like a load of other bands. You could never remember who they are. That's the Marillion effect. Yeah, True. 10th of December, in at number one, we've already spoken about it, Let's Party by Jive, Johnny and the, Jive Bunny Let's and the Master not. Mixers. Let's not. Let's not, yeah. Uh, at number nine is Dear Jesse by Madonna. <laughs> what is this? I don't know. Uh, what happened? What, they said to me, it's when Madonna says she ain't got time for a video. You sort it. <laughs> yeah, and then the guy listened to the song and took a whole bag of magic mushrooms and then animated <laughs> his mind. It's like, what the hell is going on in that video? Best not to think about it. It's not a particularly great Madonna song. No, it's awful. I think it's something to do with some young person. I don't bloody know. I, I watched it. I was like, what the hell were you smoking? No, I didn't <laughs> like it. Number 23 is Getting Away With It by Electronic. I, for some reason, I thought you'd like this, and then I, I realised that you don't. No, I can't stand Electronic. <laughs> 
Can't stand him. Makes sense. It's I couldn't. I can never. I've never did. I never liked him. The bland, banal ass. Really rubbed me the wrong way. It's like a worse lightning seeds. Yeah, actually, that's a really good description. Suppose if you take the worst parts of New World of the Smiths and the Pet Shop Boys, this is what you'd get. <laughs> yeah, get in away all my life. It's like it's just get in away Ber- with Bernard. Um, Bernard Sumner is. I've had a bit of a think about recently, sort of thing, and I think he's a bit. I think he's just been a very lucky person to be surrounded by decent musicians. Yeah, maybe, maybe. But I think he's, you know, he's obviously got something. But I, I just, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I mean, Johnny Marr is an incredible guitarist. No Johnny Marr is a great guitarist. Amazing. Yeah, that's what I mean. See, he just surrounds himself, and Peter Hook's a really good bassist, and the drummer and the yeah. keyboardist, and, and Ian Curtis and stuff. These people were, ta- and I just think Bernard Sumner's just a bit like, uh, uh, not my thing. I really didn't like this. Number thirty-two is Sister by Bross. <laughs> stupid Bros, brother, sister you're right the picture of his voice was way higher than I expected too when it started <laughs> when it, and I was like hey what's going on <laughs> he's been tweaked by somebody someone's tweaked him and not in a good way <laughs> uh, but you've noticed here that there's only one sister brothers and that was the uh, Trevor Simon clip it which was, made yeah. me laugh loads rocking and a rolling ducking and a diving <laughs> choosing and a buying my cheap records from the bargain bin <laughs> <laughs> which like, you know, ironically was Jive Bunny because they go through the record collection get Jive Bunny and chuck oh, it away because they ate it bit, yeah <laughs> come on everybody <laughs> <So> cook <good>. a <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. love the Sister Brothers when they did it it was like they're stuck in and a dive and rocking on fixing and amending my bike <laughs> brilliant <laughs> go and watch all of them immediately yeah they are very good uh, don't listen to this though, it's arse <laughs> no it's rubbish <laughs> in at number 36 is Burning the Ground by Duran Duran this remix, is weird isn't remix remix yeah, remix track. It's just all I could think of was, hey, remember when we wrote good songs? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, this is all the ones we did, yeah. It's a remix track. It was released for the to coincide with their greatest hits album, which was called Decade at the time. It's a very thumpy version. They've had an extra wallop and thump to it, haven't they? Um, and it's good because it's their good tracks. If they'd have yeah. done the same thing with the other tracks... It wouldn't have been nearly as good, would it? Would it would be bad. <laughs> but you do remember, when you do listen to this, you're like, God, they wrote loads of really good tracks in those early, yes, in that early period, the early yeah. 80s. They, they, were, yeah. they were on Great fire, stuff. but they, yep. they lost that fire. Yes, they did. Finally, in number 51 is December, ironically, by All About Eve. No, okay song. It's yeah. it's okay. Right. It's emblematic. This is the emblematic song of the second album, really. It's all yeah. right, but it's not up to the highs of the first album for me. Um, her voice is still excellent. Yeah, it just loses subtlety. I felt it just gave way to that MOR sound. I think you've been you've been sort of indicating that as we've gone through, and, and a number of these tracks have popped up off this second album. They'd lost the mag- a bit of their magic, and it has a really tragic guitar solo in it. It's just her voice is shimmering all the way through. And she's way better than this song and all the other songs. And in the video, she looked really awkward. And she's telling me that she's not happy. And you can sort of see why when you hear this. Yeah, we said before, I mean, they were go- her and Tim Brickner, who's the guitarist, had broken up and she spent the entire album, recording album and crying and sad. And so I think it's just reflected yeah. in in a lot of things around this. Yeah. You know? So it's what it is. Poor thing. Yeah. 17th of December, we just, we've already spoken it. And it's straight in number one was Do They Know It's Christmas by, uh, by Elastoplast. Uh, in at number 25 is The Magic Number, double A side probably with Buddy by De La Soul. Bit of a classic, in it? Three it is. is the magic number. One, two, three is a great track. Yeah, it still works today as well because it's used to a uh, great effect over the end credits of the recent Spider-Man film. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, No Way Home when it, the end bit um, because obviously there's three Spider-Men in it. But um, yeah, it works really well. So yeah, good song. Not much to say about it, but just a good classic. Yeah, double A side. Buddy was good as well. Yeah, good De La Soul stuff. You can't really go wrong. Number 33 is Words by the Christians. 
the crustians <laughs> why is it called words with word <laughs> i don't word. know um i think that's just the youtube version because it's got the words in it i think oh because it's got the uh, lyrics on it i was like, yeah yeah they could have just put lyrics up there it gave me an american wealth in london vibe to video and they're just walking down six of the roads lad watch the moors i thought it looked like blurry outcuts from the intro to coast yeah it, it ain't good is it, it ain't no. nice it's boring. Not. What a boring, boring band that is. Boring. boring. No. Number 42 is Inner City Mama by Nana Cherry. Oh, this stupid thing. <laughs> is it me or did, at the beginning of this, the guy who lit it made her look like that Nana Cherry had a moustache at the start and later like she had like dagger teeth. I know, maybe she has those things and that's all good. But it just looked quite terrifying, I thought. And she's an otherwise attractive lady for that. The song is just completely meh, though. Ugh. Yeah, not for me, this. No. Uh, no. Number 81 is Shadow Mix by The Shadows. Oh, yeah. Guess what? <laughs> it's another it's another mixtape. Someone heard Jive Bunny and thought, you know, we need a good remix like that. The Shadows. They don't. They but don't. somebody thought that and then they made this happen and then it came and then they, they came. <laughs> sea greens and protein. Fish and plankton. Sea greens and protein from the sea. And then it stopped coming, and they came instead. <laughs> and, and, and Marvin's and from the sea. <laughs> Marvin's from the sea. Um, so the Jive Shadows um, sounds like a Chicago cell band from the mid-70s. Yeah, that's good, uh, yeah. I'm going to see the Jive Shadows. <laughs> yeah, doing yeah. like a funked-out version of Shadow songs. That'd be quite cool. Not these ones, though. <laughs> Not no. these ones. Christmas Eve, we had in at number 69 is Destiny, Autumn Love by Electra. <laughs> I can guarantee you won't like that, but you'll have heard it. I didn't. I had. I didn't. It was boring. <laughs> it's very boring. Yeah, it's, it's just a, it's really of its time house, yeah. Yeah. Number 82, Sally Cinnamon by the Stone Roses. What do you make of that? Yeah, I mean, you've said it, horrible Smiths like overtones. I can see it, but I think I think it just lacks the horrible sort of, uh, what's the word for the Smith? Knowingness or, you know, I, aren't I clever that sometimes the Smiths just reek off? It, feel, it feels just quite innocent, just twee and nice, this track. has a nice innocence to it, don't know, which probably doesn't. Yeah, no, I don't know. I agree with that. I mean, I, when I say Smiths overtones, I think it's just is vocal tonally. Maybe thematically it's quite interesting and it's got a great guitar and drumming in it though and give in yeah. all fairness the, really, yeah, the is musicianship really good. is is as strong yeah. as ever as always by the really good yeah 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 absolutely number 98 dexterous by nightmares on wax very early influential sort of i don't even know you'd call this really this is kind of a bit of a pioneering almost like break hop hip trip hop kind of early warp records i think it's their second only release on warp right. um, on the actual label itself pushing the envelope a little bit with its use of soundscapes and sounds they're using sounds that you don't normally hear in that kind of thing. So it is quite interesting. And um, there's a really good article that I found on 909originals.com, which I'll pop into the show notes, which is quite interesting. It, it's it's an interesting track if you like that kind of thing. It's not everyone's cup of tea, though, that. It reminded I, me I of some of the that. stuff that you did on Octomed. Probably, probably do, it's probably done on a tracker. Could easy have it been. Sound, it, I mean, sounded not quite track, Octomed, it sounded but, quite tracker-ish. Yeah, it totally, totally get that. Um, it's just, I think it's just using, again, like use, it's using some of those sounds in a non-traditional way. So it's probably got... Roland 808s and 909s and some of those early techno pieces of kit, not necessarily using them in the way that everyone else is using them. So if you compare this to the kind of house sounds that we've been already bemoaning and some of the others, sticks out like a sore thumb. It's very different to that. Mm. Interesting because of that. But you've got to like that kind of thing, haven't you? If you don't, it's just going to be like lots of clicks and a bit of a throwback almost to sort of early craft work, actually, in some ways as well, because they famously did all of that. So it's quite, quite good. New Year's Eve, if you fancied some new singles, you could have gone and got Hanging Tough by New Kids on the Block. That, see, that's the other one I was thinking of. Hanging tough. Yeah, rubbish. Hey, they all sound no. the same. I, I can't be doing with them. Uh, in at number 24 is Hey You by the Choir Boys. 
I'd forgotten this song existed and you made it come back into my mind, you evil, evil man. I actually hate this song. I realised I hate it. And then I hadn't thought about it in so long that it just erased itself. And then I put it on, it was like, hey, you, what can I do? And I remember going, oh my God, I remember was even talking about this back in the day going, this is awful. Yeah. So bad. It is. So bad. And they do, like you say, hit every rock video cliche in the first five seconds of the video. There's backlight oh, yeah. on a stage, he swings the thing around, flicks his yeah. thing, the guitarist does a twirl, all of it. It's all there. So Everything. Bad. And there's so many so close ups of his face as well. It just makes you go, ah. Yeah. I mean, Obviously, these little twitchy bits in the video because the frame rates obviously got problems, so it kind of scoops, skips a bit, which made me laugh. Um, yeah. The singer is, the singer is like Rod Stewart f***ed Steve Tyler from Aerosmith, and the product <laughs> of that union formed the singer of the Choir Boys, part gravel and part scarf. <laughs> Some interesting notes, a couple of things to note. They were from Newcastle. I thought they were from the US, but they're from Newcastle. No, I know they're British. Sharon Osborne was their manager, you know, she of the Osbournes. Huh? And they had over 22 different members in that <laughs> band over the years. That's Mon's Spinal Tap. <laughs> So. None of the original members are still in it, I imagine. Or maybe they are. Who knows? I don't know. They had a massive follow-up very recently with the original lead singer, so I suspect not. Oh, good Lord. In fact, I think they're called the London Choir Boys because of a weird argument between some of the band members. So there's a oh, version of them called the London Choir Boys. Yeah, totally. The new originals. <laughs> yeah, the, the new Thames, the Thames, yeah, the yeah. originals. Uh, number 26 is Big Wedge by Fish. Yeah. Now, I've, I found a top of the pop performance of this. You have to go and watch it to believe yeah, it. Yeah, you do. You have to go, just go and watch what that happens in that. And if you wonder, ever wonder what happens when a fish is out of water, they flap around, they gasp <laughs> for and die. And that is what happens in that performance. Yeah, Quite it spectacularly. Is. Awful. It's so bad. Fish, pish more like. He's wearing a he's wearing an American flag top hat and that's just the start of it. Well, he's wearing an Uncle Sam outfit, isn't he? Yeah, exactly. It's not good. No, it's not. It's not. Why? It's, don't know. <laughs> so I've got to do uh, with Big Wedge. <laughs> Don't, it might be money or something like that, I'm guessing. I don't know. I'm not going to listen to lyrics and analyse it, so I don't care. No, never do. Number 30 is Queen of the New Year by Deacon Blue. Uh, <laughs> no. Uh, that video you found from Top of the Pops, he's got proper <laughs> loosey-goosey in his hand, hasn't he? He has. It's, it's, honestly, his hand's loose and it's going to come off. He's <laughs> like, like flicking it, it's like, spinning it. Like, that hand's coming <laughs> off in a minute, mate. <laughs> no one's wrist does that. I mean, I've had, it's like, it's, what's going on? Honestly, just before we went on, he's like, oh, no, me, me, me hand's going to fall off. I, I was only got any I can tighten a wrist with. Uh, so me, my wrist wrench is in the van. Oh damn it! I'll just have to wiggle it around like it's like no, pretend it's not loose. I'll just have to hopefully it won't flop too hard. I was thinking it was going to fly off and hit someone. And yeah. also in that terrible, terrible miming, terrible, terrible gap in the teeth as well. No, I'm no. That's people are who they are. But you know, when it's that close up to the camera, it's like goodness me. I haven't seen a gap in the teeth like that's frightened me since Franco Colombo in Pumping Iron. So. <laughs> And you've been on safari. <laughs> been on so many safaris. <laughs> Number 33 has got to have your love featuring Woodress by Mantronics. Featuring Woodress. You must have heard that a million uh, times in clubs. Yeah. Yeah. yeah everyone's heard it. Um, but sad. the sad part there is Woodress Hutchinson, who was, who was an amazing singer and vocalist for a lot of um, Mantronics stuff, passed away in May 2021. Yeah. As soon as that bass line started, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's that. I reckon yeah, it's that. Yeah. As soon as you hear it, you're like, oh, it's that. Yeah. yeah. And finally, number 36 is Put Your Hands Together by D-Mob. Yeah, I remember listening to that with Gary. Um, it's a good track, it is. It's hip-hop house kind of vibes, but, you know, it's all right. You can't go wrong with D-Mob. They're okay. They're always good. Albums, 3rd of December, in at number two is Jive Bunny, the album by Jive Bunny and the Master Mixers. Just turned, and oh, I can imagine, how did this get to number two? People buy this, an entire album of this. Yeah, it's a nightmare. Oh. Um, 
How did that rabbit not catch mixer mitosis or mixer mitosis, maybe? Hey! hey. <laughs> it was right there staring us in the face. It was. How did we time. not get it? I know. I I just, know. I'm, pr- I'm quite proud of that. Number eight is Hanging Tough by New Kids on the Block. Hang out somewhere else. Go out. Get off my land. You're <laughs> yeah. upsetting quack. Number nine is Labour of Love 2 by UB40. Ninth album, that. Yeah. Nine whole albums of appropriation of some some, some other genre, some <laughs> other culture's genre of music. Yeah, let's say no more about it. Yeah, you be shit, you be. <laughs> <laughs> Number 27 is Presto by Rush. Uh, over to you, because uh, it's not an album I've ever really really sort of listened to, ever, actually. No, I mean, obviously I have. I gave it another listen today, actually, because I saw it was on here. I, I, do, I do like this album. I really do. Just to note, sort of thing, from what it says on Wiki, I presume, Presto marked another change in Rush's sound, with guitar taking a more dominant role in the writing. Anyway, but to me, this was always a weak-sounding album. It's not as strong. It's not as thick it's not as well thingy the mix is thin on this and it might the first time they've worked with rupert hine as producer he would always also work with them on the following album um roll the bones which has a similar sound uh it's mm. not terrible but it marks the start of the weakest period in their history for most fans and me included i think there's a lack of drumming on it as well weirdly now, i'm not knocking the drumming or the quality of the musicianship throughout it because it is as excellent as ever but it's it's way more reliant on just bass snare drum fills Mm, um, okay. which is strange if you listen I've put the intro to Show Don't Tell which is one of the singles from it the main single from it this listens to the intro to it and you think there should be loads of Neil Peart you know crazy madness going on like he normally does but it's not it's all drum and it's all drums and bass fills it's weird um so it seems much more restrained which i don't know and it's kind of emblematic of this album um and yeah it's it gets rid of the synths a lot but it's um because obviously the last couple of albums um but it goes back to more traditional guitar bass but the production is just not strong enough to counter their emission it's not terrible it's not the worst album, though, but it's certainly weaker than anything that came before it, I think. Um, it does, however, have the single on it called, or not the single, I think it might be the single, The Pass, um, mm-hmm. which is one of my favourite songs of theirs. It's a, it's a solid album. It's good. It's just, I mean, most Rush albums are good, apart from probably Test for Echo. Um, but um, it's it's a step in a weak, I don't know, it's a bit of a strange direction, this one. It's a bit odd. Yeah. I'm not quite sure what they yeah. were chasing. They just didn't seem to, it seemed not one thing or the other. It's like not a good enough rock sound and it's not a good enough so they're sort of missing anything whereas before they were had stuff anyway but it's all right in at number 45 is the joe longthorn christmas album by joe longthorn (laughs) it is what it is isn't it it's odd the track listing is a bit weird for that because it doesn't have every six every song on it isn't a christmas song in fact the opening song on it's not a christmas song is it not it's a little bit odd no um, I thought it a little bit weird. So if you go, uh, like, because we've got two Christmas compilation albums, one after another. So Joe Longthorn starts with Wonderful World. I see trees of blue. Oh, yeah. Then he's got Morning Has Broken. Then My Love For You. Then Bridge Over Troubled Water. Then track number five is the Christmas song. <laughs> just to put so one I'm, in. I'm just, I'm just thinking Wonderful World, Morning Has Broken, My Love For You, Bridge Over Troubled Water. They're not exclusively happy Christmas songs, no, are they really? Not. Also at number 11, it's got one called If I Never Sing Another Song which is uh, yeah. something we can all hope for. I mean, you know, it's famous. Joe Longthorn, he was from Hull, wasn't he? So, um, you know, Hull-born, yeah. I guess. Um, but uh, it seems odd that there's just an odd choice of non-Christmas songs on a album called Christmas Album. He looks weird. really uncomfortable on that chair as well. Yes, he will. Yes, he is, because he's <laughs> um, he's trying to hatch an egg. <laughs> we'll talk about that another day. Probably we'll is. Day. At number 55, we have the Foster and Allen Christmas Album. Foster no, see, this Allen. one's got... A- Actual Christmas tracks. The first track on that, Silent Night. The second track, An Old Christmas Card. 
the third track, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. But then it's The Greatest Love of All, which I'm guessing is the Whitney Houston song. Okay. It's all been, <laughs> what's going on? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know about you, but the idea of Foster Allen singing that would be, is a great thing to me. I don't know. But again, <laughs> it's not fully Christmas album. I don't know what they're doing, what they're doing. Why I don't know. 10th of December, in at number two is At Their Very Best by The Shadows. Can't you tell Christmases are coming here? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Everyone's releasing best ofs and God knows yeah. what. There's a footnote. There's an interesting footnote, Adrian, about this, The Shadows, about The Shadows themselves. So here it is. They'd split from their long-standing record label at this point, which was EMI. They've been with EMI for years. And um, when they wanted to release this The Very Best Of um, album, EMI would not release their original recordings to them to do it. So they're not having them. She's odd, isn't it? Yeah. So they went into the studio and recorded them exactly the same way with exactly the same equipment 30 years later. And they sound exactly the same. No surprise then, really. No surprise there, no. No, exactly. Note for note accurate they are. So you'd think you might use that opportunity after 30 years to enhance them in some way, but not the shadows. No. Look, you, you can't enhance perfection. <laughs> Funny, Hank Marvin's got that on his T-shirt, actually, <laughs> um, which is ironic. With a picture of um, Buddy Holly. <laughs> but yeah, um, so they, they, it's not actually the original recordings of The Shadows at their very best. It's 30 years later, so <laughs> technically is that is that them at their very worst, really. Maybe, I maybe. Uh, at number 45 is The Greatest Hits by ELO. Yeah, it's got Mr. Blue Sky in it, no doubt, and all the and others that Wild I West don't Hero. Know. Yeah, and, you know... What's it called? The one with the woman in the title? Is it Woman Lover? Or I don't know. I can't remember what it's called now. Uh, yeah, I always think I know lots of ELO songs, and then it's like it's like <laughs> the candy of a thousand uses. It's like, it's like I know, you know one, maybe two. <laughs> yeah, and you're like, oh, I, but my brother used to play loads of them, and then I'm like, oh, I can't remember. Any. Yeah, yeah, but, I remember yeah. the uh, remember seeing their videos with the big spaceships and thinking they're cool, but yeah. I, I remember one song, maybe two. Tragic. I was like. I always like the fact that they were, their lead singer was Bev Bevan. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And uh, what's name. his name? That guy that you did in... You you, drew, you went to a fancy dress party as the guy from <laughs> yeah. Yellow. Yeah, I did, yeah. <laughs> Looked dead like him. Um, and at number 57 is 90 by 808 State. Pacific State's on that. We talked about that the last time, didn't we? Uh, not, a, not a group I followed, really. Wafty Techno Trance. I don't like that kind of... I like a good bit of kick bass drive to get me interested. That kind of donk, donk, donk kind of sound. You know, I like that. I like that kind of... Not, not Happy Hard House or whatever you call it. Happy House or whatever it is. The stuff you get at you know, the horrible goose fairs and things like that. None of that. <laughs> On the waltzers, you know. None of that... You know, that kind of stuff. But I do like a good bit of, you know techno and stuff like that i do there's only one album released on the 17th of december and it seems like there's a bit of a story behind this one this is number 42 <laughs> jose carreras sings andrew lloyd webber by jose carreras there is so buckle in because this is all this is all factually accurate stuff um so it does exactly what it says in sin this odd record, Adrian, reflects the period between February and August 1989 where Jose Carreras would follow Andrew Lloyd Webber around everywhere and sing everything Webber said in spoken word. In meetings, at home, in a taxi, on a plane, during intercourse, at lunch or dinner, at engagements, weddings, funerals, parties. Any spoken word from Webber was interpreted and sung loudly by Carreras right then and right there. At the end of the experiment, Webber was heard to say, and this is a quote, if that prick sings another fucking word, I cut his tongue out and stab him. And later described the experience as the worst few months of his life. Jose ruined my friend's wedding and even the funeral of an elderly relative. I hope he chokes on a chicken bone, the stupid That's the direct quote. Um, that's, this is the album of that anyway. <laughs> wow. That needs to be set to our tune. <laughs> 
<laughs> Might do that actually. <laughs> oh, that was that. <laughs> and then you don't think it, just when you think it can't get weirder. <laughs> <laughs> just when you think, yeah. Uh, this is Love Songs by Dion Warrigan at number 46. It's yes. a great hit song. Yeah. And she recently appeared on The Masked Singer as Weather. <laughs> she did, yeah. A career high, maybe. <laughs> That's a bit, what the actual fuck? What is that? That's just, Dionne Warwick with a cloud head and lightning coming out of her ears. <laughs> I can't do it. I can't. This is if the world famous Dionne Warwick who sang, Why do you have to be a... And more importantly, that sang, What can't buy do do... I mean, what? A time trumpet has become a documentary. <laughs> it actually has. It actually has. So, if you had to put on so time th- trumpet in the future, <laughs> world-class singers will sing on a thing where we just have to guess who they are or maybe not, and all they'll be and they'll be dressed up as weather. Honestly, like, yes. Or Richie Sambora was dressed up as what? A, p- a, potato, a jacket potato. A jacket potato. You'd have. You'd, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, what your face, Armand? Get out. You've gone too far, Armand Iannucci. You've gone too far. At the moment, these the contestants at the moment are. I believe it's Maypole, um, <laughs> Dippy Egg. <laughs> the one was weather. Um, I can't remember them all now. They're all, it's mad. It's a mad program of mad things happening. Really crazy. And there's just these celebrities that have to guess about answering clues. It's like a really, it's the the world's gone mad. The world's gone mad. And when they take off their heads, when they shout, they chant all the audience chants, take yeah. it off, take it off. And when, so when Deanne Warwick had her cloud head and lightning ears removed, there was Deanne Warwick in a little, like a little hoodie. Going, ah, oh, yeah, it's John Warwick. You're like, John, it's John fucking Warwick. This is this is the equivalent of of pulling the mask away from, you know, I don't know, some character called, I don't know, Badger. Take the head off, and it's bloody Aretha Franklin in there. You're like, what? Yeah. And they're like, oh, I just did it for a laugh. You know, it's funny. It's like, oh my god, look at yourself. Yeah, I don't understand. <laughs> Richie Sambora as a potato. My heart sank, and it's still. I'm still struggling to come to terms with that. <laughs> no, I can tell. Oh, anyway, let's round off this music. So, at number fifty five is "Pump Up the Jam" by Technotronic. Yes, that's actually a much better album than it sounds like because every track sounds like well, every track sounds like that. But it's a debut album. I don't think they did another one. And obviously, it's got um, Felly in it. It was actually wasn't actually Felly. It was lip synced. She lip synced the actual person who did the you know the jam was somebody called Yakid K, who then appears in later videos. Anyway, good thumpy Euro dance stuff. The Roland SH101 in full effect and a default setting that is as well for the bass. That bum bum bum. Bum, bum, bum. That bass sound that's really famous in the Technotronic stuff, that's a default setting on the Roland SH101 as well. Mad. Can't argue with well, that. Actually, it's, it's, it's gated a little bit with a little bit of um, delay echo on it, reverb, but it, that's what it is. So, good stuff. Dion Warwick as the weather. <laughs> it's a highlight. <laughs> it's a highlight. All right, that's it. That's your music. That was Christmas. That's what we were listening to. Oof, it's, not, it's not good, but that's what we had to listen to. So, there we go. All right, on that note, I think we're going to take a break because uh, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm still looking at that picture and I can't get over it. <laughs> <laughs> but we're going to take a break. Um, God, God, my brain's just fried. I like the way underneath that picture you've written, what the actual f***? <laughs> Sums it up perfectly. Yeah, I, yeah, it does. <laughs> we're going to take a break. I'm going to gather my wits. We'll come back. We've still got three games to get through, so we'll see you in a bit. Yes, we're back. And three more games to get through. So let's waste no time. Let's get straight into it. Our first one, it's another arcade conversion, Graham. It another is, one. Another one. It is Cabal. Cable. Cabal. Cab- Cabal. 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 How do you pronounce it? <laughs> Cabal. C-A-B-A-L. It's uh, yeah, another arcade. It's come Ocean. 
This is from Ocean. It's £9.99, and it's got 89%. Did it 89%. now? 89%. It did, yeah. This was originally released in the arcades in 1988. It was designed by Tad Corporation, which was a small maker of video games that had been set up by former employees of Data East. Oh, interesting. Okay. Aside from this, they only made like a handful of games, about six, I think. Most well-known of those was Toki. You remember Toki? T-O-K-I? I remember Toki, vaguely. Yeah. Weirdly, this was published in Japan by Taito. Taito. It was in, published in the US by Fabtech, and in Europe it was published by Capcom. So weird um, sort of publishing rights all over the place. In Japan, Graham, Games Machine listed Cabal on their November 1st, 1988 issue as being the eighth most successful table arcade mm. unit of the month. Higher than eight, we say. That's oh. <laughs> eight. It was ported to everything, as most of these things were. The C64, uh, C64 port was developed by Special Effects. It was produced by Paul J. Finnegan, um, coded by Robert W. Tinman. <laughs> there he is. I love the Toto. It is, but we also got graphics by Karen and Ivan Davis. This is the right family affair, this one. It was coded by mm. Robert Tinman, graphics by Karen and Ivan Davis. The loading screen was by Karen Davis, and the musician was Keith Tinman. Mm, okay, the Tinman and the Davises. Tim and the Davises, yeah. I presume they're all related. They might not be. They might just have the same surname in some weird coincidence, but I'm probably guessing they are. The loading screen's another good one by Karen Davis um, because she did the excellent visuals and that loading screen on Batman the Cape Crusader, which we praised at the time. And it has the infamous image of that guy looking over his shoulder at you and pointing to loads of helicopters heading for them. Everyone knows that image and picture. It's Mm. it's become synonymous. Um, Once it loads, you get a title screen. Uh, it's got the logo at the top um, and a cycling screen of text explaining the basic story, which is basic, just shoot shit, um, and the credits. We also get a, a pretty solid piece of music from Keith Tinman, I thought. I thought, I quite like this music. It's all right. Not too bad. A bit short, but it's okay. It's a good start, and pressing the fire button loads in the first set of levels. Yes, it's a multi-load, but I thought the multi-load in this was not too egregious due to the nature of the game. So it's all right. Because the game's split into five levels, each with four stages to get through. So each load is a single level containing those four stages. So it's not Mm. so bad. When the first stage loads in, we're given some options to start with. It's kind of weird. You kind of got the game screen, and then there's just a load of options in the middle. So it's like the first background and some options. Kind of a bit, I don't know, it, it felt a bit cheap in comparison to what had sort of come before it. Though it could have been a little bit better. Like those options probably should have been before the multi-load. Yeah, yeah, I agree. If that makes sense. But we get some options anyway. We can play one or two players. We can play whether decide whether to play with joystick or keys, whether to have sound effects um, off or on. So we can either have sound effects or silence, which is kind of a weird option. And then we can start the game. So that's it. So this review is primarily based around the single-player mode um, because that's what I played. But I did try the two-player mode because in, in the arcade... It has both of you on screen at once, running back and forth and shooting stuff. Um, it's my understanding from looking at it, I think. Um, but here, you take it in turns to do each stage, which is a bit odd. Something of a letdown, I think. So it's hmm. it's not very different to the single-player mode. It's that you just take it in turns when you've completed a stage or when you die or something. Anyway, when the game starts, so you control an armed sprite. You're this, you're this guy at the bottom. You're facing into the screen. It's kind of like a pseudo 3D shooter. Someone say it's akin to Operation Wolf except you can see the player rather than it being first person. So it's like a third-person Operation Wolf, but it doesn't scroll. Um, You walk along at the bottom of the screen, along a 2D plane, and in front of you, there are some barricades, uh, which you can hide behind. And further into the screen, there's a series of buildings, walls, and trees. And these change from stage to stage. They'll become like other buildings. There'll be trees. There'll be planes and boats and walls and all kinds of different things. Um, So they're in the sort of 
distance is going into the uh, going into the distance. Controls are simple enough: left and right um, to move, and you also control a crosshair. So you walk left and right, and but at the same time, there's a crosshair moving about, which is in the sort of up on the top of the screen, the higher part of the screen. Um, um, moving up or down, while it's moving left or right, will move that crosshair up and down as well as left or right with you. So it kind of sticks where sticks where it is moves left or right with you, but you can sort of move it up or down by using the up and down diagonals. If you hold the fire button, that cements you in place. So it cements you where you are. You stop moving. And then you've got free control over the crosshair, and you can move that crosshair all over the screen um, while shooting a never-ending supply of bullets. You just you never run out. You're just spraying the screen with bullets. It's kind of cool. You can also press space to throw a grenade at where you are aiming, where the crosshair is. Um, but you only have 10 of those to start with. Uh, but you can pick up more as you go along. The game starts slowly. Enemy troops wandering on from the size of the screen. And you must basically just rake your crosshair across them whilst holding fire. This is not a game that requires precision. And I like it for that reason. That's one of the things mm-hmm. we said about Operation Wolf, which was just too damn, you had to be too precise. This is not that. You just spray gunfire everywhere. And as soon okay. as your crosshair hits them, they go down. They're dead. It's like you, there's no, you know, it's not about, you know, got to be the right pixel. It's just as soon as that crosshair hits someone, poof, they're dead. Bye. Yeah. So that's cool. More and more start to come on. And these will be followed by more and more enemies sort of thing. You've got enemy troops start to come on from left and right. So it gets quite tricky because you're having to run, move, and walk about and try and get them all so they're all over the place. Um, and this is followed by armored vehicles such as tanks, troop transporters, where uh, soldiers get out of and start shooting you. Helicopters uh, that spray the sort of you know towards you with bullets. Jets drop bombs and they fly towards you. There's loads of stuff. There's loads of enemies, loads of bombs, loads of different types of stuff just going on. Um, and it's uh, everything shoots at you, and you've got to keep on the move, and you've got to really pick your moments when to shoot back because um, they're pretty crack shots. Um, the, the enemies yeah. they'll be shooting at you all the time so there'll be bombs and stuff getting thrown at you so you can't stay in one place for long i also like the fact that when you throw your grenades as well they've got quite a large um explosive radius so it won't be you don't have to be that precise like enemies just even nearby will get blown up from them this this game likes you killing people it what it you know it's not it's not stingy on that so that i, I like that i thought that was good um the buildings and walls and the barricades in the environment can all be destroyed if you hit them with enough shots or grenades um so you can basically just reduce the environment in front of you to rubble there's no um indication that it's taking damage but everything pretty much takes damage and then after a few little while it sort of crumbles and just disappears so you can open up because if the enemy's walking behind the buildings and stuff you can't shoot at them but once you've opened up the landscape you can just shoot them all over the place that's quite cool um and that's quite nice but also your barricades which are at the bottom can also be destroyed by enemy gunfire. And so they only take one shot, so they don't last long at all. So hiding behind them is not a, a key to winning the, the level because there's more bullets will just be coming at you. So you've got to keep on the move all the time. The game itself takes place um, uh, most uh, takes place mo- on most of the, across most of the screen. There's a few lines at the top and bottom for the UI. So at the top, you've got the number of lives, which is represented by a, a heart icon. You start with five lives, but you can get extra lives at uh, uh, 10,000 points. Um, and you and player two, so player one and player two score are both on there in a big old yellow font, one underneath one, player one at the top, player one underneath that. At the bottom, there's a big blue bar labeled foe, just foe, <laughs> F-O-E. As you shoot more enemies, this slowly fills up with red, and that's the aim of the game. So you should, should you fill it completely, you complete the stage, and you move on to the next one. Essentially, that's it. So you just have to keep shooting and surviving to fill up that bar and then once it is, you move on to the next stage. 
Um, there's also a grenade indicator next to that bar with a number telling you how many you have left. And that's it. As you work your way through the stages, blasting certain things will rain down, will sort of bounce down the extra grenades and pickups. So you can get, you know, you pick up extra grenades, you get bonuses, so better score. You get better guns as well. And you just basically walk into these to activate them. As soon as you walk into it, they're activated, especially the better weapons. You get such as bazookas, shotguns, bigger machine guns. And these make your reticule bigger, so it's easier to shoot people and they fire a lot faster, they do more damage. All very good, you know, but it's power-ups. They then they yeah, all yeah. the good thing is they all feel like power ups. We've said in a lot of games feel like power down, so they don't feel thingy. Picking these up is a yeah, get them because they're good. They, they will blow the crap out of everything. Mm. They only last for a limited time though. Typical power up usage, but they're really useful for spraying and praying because that's what this game is. Each stage follows the same template with different background graphics, but there are a variety of enemies that will show up. There's uh, grenade throwing dudes um, in grey who roll out of the way of your shots. Um, and you have to sh- sort of get them like a few times before you- they go down. There's frogmen that pop up out of lakes on those uh, levels with water in them, and they'll be shooting at you, and they pop up and pop down, and they swim away and things like that. There's people coming out of the, you know, all over the place. It's just loads of stuff going on. At the end of each fourth stage, you have to face off against a boss. Um, and, and these, um, there's a helicopter that throws bombs at you in the at the end of the f- uh, stage four. There's a submarine at the end of stage eight, which pops up from a sort of a big lake and fires at you. There's a series of gun. The next three is just gun emplacements, basically. There's a series of different gun emplacements at the end of stage 12. There's more different gun emplacements. Stage, these are actually weird, those ones at the end of stage 12, actually, because they get brought on by a truck and they kind of sort of drop there and then you have to shoot them and try and keep shooting them and blowing them up. There's different gun emplacements on stage 16, if you get there. And finally... Um, more varied gun emplacements for the last boss, which you just got to keep blasting and sort of shoot them up. And if you beat them, um, well done. You complete the game. It's an arcade game. You get a hearty congratulations message and you get picked up by a chopper and flown away. Cool. Very arcade in presentation and style. It's to be expected because it's an you know, arcade uh, conversion. So that's the game. That's pretty much what it is. You blast away. You just shoot stuff and try and survive. The visuals on the whole are good, I thought. Your guy is well animated. Um, he does have that typical sort of high-res overlay that we've seen from a lot of Ocean games for this kind of thing. Um, it, the, my only issue with it, though, he didn't feel particularly military in style. Um, he looked a bit sort of – he wasn't dressed in military attire. Colours weren't right. Mm. It's kind of just in, it's in blue and black. It's like it's kind of weird. And then I think it's to differentiate, but then player one, player two is in red and black. But the point is, is that you don't um, – they're not on screen at the same time. So there's no. not really a need for different... I would just prefer him to look a bit more military. I don't know. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, but it look, but it, but aside from that, it's a, it's a well-animated, well-drawn sprite that's, that looks all right. It's fine. The enemies in the background and tanks, they're all medium res, but they're well-drawn. You know, it's the stuff we've come to expect from um, Karen Davis. They're, they're looks, it looks fine. It looks good. Um, they're well-drawn. They're, they're well-animated as well. I like the guys rolling about and the, uh, the frogmen popping up. Um, and I thought they were better than those we saw in Operation Wolf, which were a bit more blockier. And I thought these were more animating, a bit more character to them. There are a lot of them as well. Loads of en- And there's a lot going on on screen. There's loads of enemies, loads of bullets flying around. And I never saw any flicker or anything or any kind of um, sort of slowdown. Or I thought this was a well-put-together piece of software. This, it's quick, it's fast, it's responsive. Um, and I thought it was pretty well-coded. Your control of the crosshair is always nice and smooth. It doesn't have that speed-up that so many other games have and sort of becomes uncontrollable. I always felt I was, I was in control of the crosshair, which was cool. Um, so that was nice. And just being able to pass over enemies and shoot them 
means that killing the vast amount of them is easy enough to do. You don't have to worry. It is literally spray and pray, move left and right, and get out of the way mm. of bullets. That's this game. Um, you can also, as well, if you're quick enough, you can shoot projectile bullets heading to you as well. So you can, you know you don't have to if you're quick enough, but, and that's a nice touch too. The various background screens are okay. Not brilliant, but including the destructible buildings is great. Um, it's a nice touch that they've included that from the arcade. Um, it means you can empty the screen of them and get bonuses from them as well and continue your one-man war against the enemy. It's, it works. It's, it's pretty much exactly like the arcade. The sound, though, is a bit underwhelming, though. The beefy noise of the arcade um, has been completely lost, um, which is a bit of a problem because there's mm. no music in the game and we get a rather weedy chorus of gunfire and explosions. It's the weakest part of the game, I thought, because it just it, it lets it down somewhat. I'd have liked to have had the option of some music playing instead of effects or silence. Because, um, like I said, I think it affects the atmosphere of the game. A decent pumping soundtrack here. Just something, just something, just a bass drum or just something to get it going um, would have helped keep the momentum of the game going because it can feel a bit flat overall. Um, it's good that the game keeps all of the game's levels and bonuses and destruction. But the one thing it is lacking is the roll maneuver to get away from the enemy bullets. So in the arcade, mm-hmm. you've got a, you've got another button which, and it allows you to roll. So if there's bullets coming at you, you can roll to get away from them and get out of the way. Now, I think I would have preferred a control system where the up the up diagonals were roll instead of being able to control the height of the crosshair. Because I didn't even notice that when I'm running left and right, that I can move my crosshair up and down to shoot stuff. Because as soon as you press fire, you stop moving anyway. So I think I would have preferred to have the roll maneuver in there. Um, so, because the speed at which you move, the volume of fire and head at you make this a very tough, a tough game. It's hard to get out of the way of stuff sometimes. Giving me a way to roll out of tricky situations would be more beneficial than what than because than not having it. I think it's a bigger yeah. mission here. It's really when I guess I went and played the arcade game on Mame. And having that roll was like, oh, this is a godsend. But miss, and you really come back to the C64 version, you really miss it. I think that's a bit of an oversight, and I would have liked to have seen that in there. The difficulty in this is odd. The standard levels, they soon become rock hard. It becomes very hard very quickly. Loads of bullets, loads of stuff going on, and it's hard to sort because you can get pinned in a corner very easily with no way to get out of it. Hence, because of that lack of roll, that becomes a problem. Um, whereas the bosses are dead easy. When you get to a boss, you can kill them. Like you know, it's like you can it's like you just rip its head off. It's like killing an up killing an otter, um, and this feels like the opposite um, of the arcade version, which is actually quite easy to get through to the bosses, but the bosses are rock hard. Mm. Um, so it's a kind of weird flip flop, and I think that is because of that lack of roll. So I've not played this much. I know of it, um, but I've not really played it that much. But all told, I thought this was a pretty solid conversion. Um, there's everything's here from the arcade, apart from some of the interstitial graphics and some of the sort of presentation bits and bobs. But the actual main chunk of the game, all 20 levels, all the levels are the same as the arcade as well. It's all here. It just lacks some decent in-game music, which would I think would have made this a much better experience. As an experiment, um, I opened up Sid Player and I put the in-game drum beat from Green Beret on it while I was playing this and turned the sound off. And just that, it added loads. It was a way more better experience. We've done this before. I think you did it with some game as well, where you put a, a Hubbard piece on, I think, with no music. I did, yeah. I did. And it's the same sort of thing. You can, if you, you can try it yourself. Just you know, run it in emulation, put a bit of music on the background. It becomes so much better. I, I, I would have really liked that. Maybe they just didn't have, because there's so much moving on screen, maybe they didn't have space or time. I don't know, coding, whatever. But I would have liked some music. I think it would have made it better. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, um, I, I did enjoy it. 
just as another aside on this, um, what it seems to get likened to Operation Wolf. Um, I don't think it's got. I mean, you fire it into the screen, fair enough. But do you know what I think this has more in common with? It's Space Invaders, isn't it? Uh, if you say so, yeah, I would not immediately see that. But I'd say more like Missile Command, really. But well, I thought space. Well, Missile Command, Space Invaders. It's those old kind of single screen move left and right. Because well, mm. you don't move left and right in Missile Command. Do you just move the target? This is yeah. single screen move left and right. Shoot enemies up the screen who are shooting back at you. Big targets from time to time as you hide behind destructible barriers. Yeah. It's a it's space. Yeah. It's, a, it's a Space Invaders der- derivative. I thought when I was playing yeah, yeah. it, I was like, oh. Okay, but it's just a you know it's a obviously because the way it plays. But I thought overall, I thought this was another entry into the solid arcade conversion table. I know your mileage may vary on how much you like the arcade. That's fair enough. It's missing some of the presentation, like I said, with the bits between the levels, and it's that it's not like it's missing that funny run you do when you complete a stage, which is really weird in the arcade version. He does this kind of I don't know if you've seen that. He does that kind of comedy run into the screen as you yeah. when you complete a screen. He doesn't have that on this. He just moves to the next stage. But what is there? But what is here is Cabal. I mean, it's it's the arcade game on the C64. I don't think you could do it any better. I, I liked it. I, I enjoyed my time with it. I thought it was a bit of a good mindless blast, and I did have a good blast with it. There is also, just as a final addendum, there is also um, a US version, mm-hmm. um, which um, I also tried. And it's awful. This is a proper one mm. where the UK version or the Euro version is way, way better. Um, the uh, American version was produced by Capcom. It is absolutely dreadful. Flickery, twitchy, awful controls, presentations dire. It's really crap. And, you know, playing that just actually makes you realize what a decent job special effects did here. I think this is a pretty decent conversion overall. It lacks a bit of atmosphere. It lacks some music and it lacks the role, which do lessen the experience. But mm. if but as as it goes, I don't you know I think I'm not sure you could have done much more. And seeing that American version made me appreciate this one all the more. I quite enjoyed it. I thought it was a as as arcade conversions go, this was a good one. What about you? It's all right. It's okay, game. If you can stand it for long enough, if you like the way that it controls and you you like you dig the game, it's all right. Graphics were okay. The sound felt perfunctory. Main sprite was well drawn. Some reasonable ideas in there. Some okay animations with a little guy stomping backwards and forwards at the back. A lot of brown, but that's to be expected on C64. I like the idea of destructible buildings in there. That's quite a nice thing to have in it. So that's from the arcade. Plays a bit like the arcade version, um, but it was never an arcade that I had much time for. Just don't sit in the camp where these games sit well with me. It had a vibe, didn't it, the game? Maybe it was okay in two-player, like you said. You know, if you're going to have a bit of com- you know competitiveness about it, um, and you're going to sort of see if you can egg the other person on to get a bit further and whatnot. For me, it's a bit samey, not very interesting, but it is quirky, I'll give it that. There are some weird scaling issues with sort of tanks that are the size of small houses and houses that are the size of giants and people that... Yeah, yeah. And it's all a bit... You know, and there's, there's bits of that that, are, that shout lack of attention, lack of do care and attention in something that in, in other ways has some attention about it. But it just felt, it just felt very samey. I think I, I couldn't get into it. I couldn't find myself getting into it. I just found myself a little bit overwhelmed with boredom with it. Um, but that isn't the fault of the conversion of the C64. That's just Cabal. That's just not a game that I yeah. really dig. Cabal, it's a single screen shooter, isn't it? Single screen upward shooter. That's it. Exactly. And you know, but these you know these other games that have done this kind of vibe. You know, I mean, you could you could argue that there's you know these even little elements of what do you call it a beachhead and beachhead two in there, maybe a little bit here and there and things like that. Now this does yeah. lean on older game ideas, and that's never a bad thing. Now I'm not saying this game is bad. I'm not saying it's great but it might be great for people that like this kind of thing. Is it 89%? I would never have given it that, but I wouldn't have given it a bad score. 
I'd have probably given it in the 70s, mid 70s, 75, three quarters. It's all right. It is a good arcade conversion though, in the sense that it has the elements, the elements of the arcade, no bugs and no crazy. That's mm. always a good thing. And it is all there as much as you can get it in. Um, so those are all good things. It's just not a game that really lit my, you know, lit my fireworks as it were. Yeah. It's not my kind of firework display, but it was all right. Your mileage like is going to vary on how much you like yeah, the arcade, completely. Isn't it? Yeah, and, and I didn't, but I looked at the other versions as well, and they're all kind of okay. I think the Cabal on the Spectrum was famously coded by um, Jim Bagley, wasn't it? It was, oh, yeah, Jim yeah. Bagley, James Bagley himself. Um, and, you know, and you know, he's in the Ocean Book as well. Um, it was never a game that I thought was that good, I'll be honest. But that said, this isn't a bad version of an okay game, so there you go. There you, there you go. That's Cabal or Cable. Or cabal, or however you pronounce mm. the damn thing, I don't know. <laughs> um, it's it's a decent conversion of the arcade game, and whether you like that arcade game is going to influence whether you like this. I think is the is the. I agree. There we go. That's the first of our three games for this part. Let's move on to our next one. And Graham. Well, you have the pleasure of having your breath taken away as you get to play <laughs> Top Gun. Yes, finally. Well, it up. This was a re-release of the 1987 game from Ocean. It was 2.99 upon its budget re-release. 61% it scored. It was never re- reviewed in Zap originally, uh, from no, what it I was could gather. Not. Wonder why. It was published by Ocean. Um, it was coded by Jake Glover. Now, Jake Glover's an interesting character because he was the guy that was meant to have made Cyclops on the C64 back in the Imagine days before Imagine oh, collapsed. It was one of the, one of the imaginary games. There was Cyclops was the C64 super game, which was meant to feature some magic hardware that made everything go crazy good. And then, of course, there was Bandersnatch, which was the one for the Spectrum. Mm. Neither of these games were real. They made they put loads of adverts out in the press at the time saying how miraculous they were going to be. I think there is some basic screenshots of Cyclops that have surfaced since then. And, of course, thanks to the amazing GamesThatWeren't.com website, there's a whole bunch of stuff written about Cyclops, which I'll put the link in the show notes. Go and have a read, because it's a crazy, tragic tale, the way that Imagine collapsed. The BBC, I think, were doing a documentary. They were there when they actually went and shut the doors. Yeah, they were, yeah. Bailiffs yeah. came round and... For gay people, the matching orders, uncomfortable times for people in the games industry. A real glove slap for all of the, you know, Ferrari driving, Porsche driving execs that were kind of touting how great it was to be in that realm. And of course, the reality of what was actually happening was very different. Completely different stories to that. So it's that guy, apparently. Graphics were by Stephen Wahid. He's been around, and he's Steve Wahid. He's done oh, a few yeah, things. Yeah. The title screen was Steve Wahid. Now I can only imagine this is Steve Wahid did this some time ago. I can also I can only imagine that Steve Wahid did the the title screen. I don't think he's done the in-game stuff. So this was a Spectrum game, and this was made at a time when Ocean were doing a lot of Spectrum games, and this is the conversion of the Spectrum game to the C64. Now, Mike Lamb, who did the Spectrum version, had this to say. The aim with Top Gun was to make a 3D combat game on 8-bit machines in three months. A shame, but we had to get it out for Christmas. I took the game home at Christmas to play with my mates. They weren't at all impressed. It had potential, (laughs) but in retrospect, it was tough doing the game in only three to four months. With a six-month development timeline, it could have been good. That's from the horse's mouth. That's the guy that designed the original Spectrum version. All right. So then the Commodore 64 version then is a conversion of that by Jake. What Cyclops, Glover. All right. This game raises questions, questions immediately that become obvious when it loads. First one Mm -hmm. being, why does this game repurpose the comic bakery music instead of having a version of the Top Gun music? Something which the film was famous for. Famous for its soundtrack. The loading screen, while know. okay, 
Lacks the theme from the film. It's just a schematic of an F-14. Okay, it is what it is. The player number selection title screen is basic looking. It's a split screen view of a square radar and some kind of sea view. Is that Top Gun? Is it? I don't know. <laughs> it's just, it's all weird. The idea of this game, by the way, is that you are playing out a little bit of the sequence of Top Gun where they have a dogfight in it. So that's as much as I could gather from the crappy instructions. So um, you are, it's a one or two player game, which you must make the choice of at the start for it is a choice you can only do only once. And it looks, when it finally appears, when you get to the game, it looks like Ace did. You know that split screen that Ace had and Ace Combat, Ace 2? Ace 2 on it, I think. Yeah. yeah. So it had that kind of split screen effect. Okay. So you'll get past the loading screen, you'll get past the player number selection screen, which is really weird. It's really strange because it's got like this split screen view of of like two ships at sea and then it says one or two players. So you press one or two player and then you get like the next bit, which is where you get that Top Gun a version of the Top Gun logo, I guess. And then it tells you weirdly, it tells you that, that you've got, it says, so if you press the player one or two, it then moves you to this screen. You've got, that, like I said, this crappy three-color version of the Top Gun logo. Then it says player one and two's number of lives, even though you've only selected player one, one player. <laughs> and then it says, level, it says level one, press fire to start. It's not even in the center of the screen, any of that writing. It's just, it's not centered. Center your damn text. Center it. <laughs> the least you can do. That's the least you can do. It's not difficult to do that, is it? Get the width of the screen, divide it by two. That's the center. All right, just, just saying. <sighs> so then the world's most underwhelming takeoff sequence from the deck of an aircraft carrier that has ever been animated occurs when you press fire to start. The opening sequence of the film is a massive, memorable sequence, isn't it? Do you remember the opening of Top Gun? Yeah, it's loud. Now, now. <laughs> Big F-14 jets, afterburners, <laughs> lighting up. That guy waving those two sticks, that you know, directing the planes off the deck of a massive aircraft carrier, lots of exciting jet noises. And it's it's, um, Tony Scott, isn't it, who directed it? Famous for doing the Saab advert, which featured the Saab Vigan. um, It was a car for Saab, but he had the Saab Vigan aircraft in it, shooting over the top of the Saab car. Do you remember that advert? Yeah, I do, yeah. He he did all that. Famous. So the opening sequence of this film is a massive, memorable sequence showing F-14s moving into position, taking off, famous music. This version in the game looks like a black dildo is thrown from the deck of a grey canoe. (laughs) Now that is what you call underwhelming. <laughs> it's so uninspired. It's so terrible. Even the sky is the wrong fucking colour of the sunset. It's great. The background. It? Yeah, it's great. And there's the sun setting. That's not the colour of the sky. Just crap. <laughs> just uh, just rubbish. Then the confusing game begins and the dual decks of the USS inadequate are replaced with a black background, a green crosshairs, a green line of dots, and what I think is an aeroplane, also in green. You shuffle this view around with no finesse, no idea of control or what's happening with the joystick. The idea is to shoot something down, I guess, akin to a dogfight. This is about as far away from that as it gets. Periodically, the border will flash, which I assume means you're getting shot at or something. You hear a machine gun style sound, which you can also do when you press fire and more dots appear and then sort of run out. You flit around with no idea what's happening and below your cockpit view gives you no information, no indication of anything or indeed any idea what's happening at all. Occasionally, something will blow up in an underwhelming green vector style splat that looks like a special offer tag from a Sunday market store. <laughs> And that's that's this game. That's it. That's what this game is. That. So your flight is vector-based-ish, and you're supposed to be flying a Top Gun F-14 a la the movie. Tom, you know, Tom Cruise and all of the fancy bells and whistles that come with Top Gun. 
know, Maverick and Iceman and all of those characters, those famous characters that they could have put into this. Now, I know this is 1987 when this was made, but come on, this is Top Gun. This is a massive license. See, it was a humongous hit. Maybe they didn't expect it to be a hit. And it's early days in the games industry, I get it. All right, but put that to one side. Even in 1987, this is piss awful. I mean, I can't even believe they released this. It's just it's so bad. I mean, I guess maybe on the Spectrum, because the vectors on it and the green and the, that, that kind of display, it would probably work on a Spectrum. And maybe there's a good bit of two-player two player Spectrum action to be had out of this. I don't know. I wasn't going to go and replay it on another 8-bit machine, I can tell you that. For me on the C64, this appeals to none of the C64 strengths. Strengths which were being exploited quite a lot in 1987, because Activision had exploited loads of them in 1984. Mm-hmm. So there was loads of ways they could have turned this game. If they'd have made it like Book Rogers, it might have been blocky, but it would have been more like Top Gun with mm-hmm. an airplane flying like that. But no, instead you get this god-awful thing. So how are you supposed to associate this film and that game together, other than by the fact that it's got the Top Gun, a badly cut-out version of the Top Gun logo and Tom Cruise and um, what's the name from the Top Gun on the front of the box? Yeah. It's the only thing linking this to Top Gun. When it loads, it doesn't. It has the Top Gun logo, but it doesn't have the music. It doesn't have any of the kind of decals of the film. It doesn't have any plot from the film. It doesn't have any indication that you have anything to do with it. Nor does it even mention any of the characters from the film. It's literally the name on a box. And does that... Now, the reason I mention all of this is not to just sort of have a smash at a 1987 game that's been re-released, because that's not the point of what I'm saying. We've been exploring all of this. This is an ocean game. We've been exploring all of these ocean licensed games over these years for some time. And over the past sort of two, three episodes, we've had Batman, which is a big licensed game ocean. We've had Untouchables and then there'll be others. And we've sort of looked at them and gone, hang on a minute, you know, they haven't got this right. This isn't very good. This is a bit of exploitation, this exploitation. And then we've also looked back and I look back at some of the other episodes and had a quick listen to some of the older reviews, things like Knight Rider and some of the other ocean games. They have always done this. They have always got these licenses and just made crap games out of them, generally. Maybe the old little one here and there. Cobra. It's just circuit. Exactly. So to think that this is a a re-release of an ocean game, fine. But for me, it's the epitome of everything that I've come to really despise about ocean as a company. Now, I held ocean in high reverie because of games like Whizball and things like that. But as you pointed out in a recent post on our amazing Discord with the patrons, none of the big Ocean games were made by Ocean. They were made by third pipe guys who they ripped off generally. Yeah. So these games, these Ocean games, now this isn't a go at the creators either, the coders, because there's some amazing coding chops in Ocean as, and some of their, you know, their programmers. And this isn't about that. This is about their business ethics as a company making games. This game and this re-release are a testament to the fact that they have always been a shit show of people ripping people off with licenses. They've never changed their MO. And in fact, they thought they could get away with this one twice. That shows you how much contempt they have for people. Because this is crap. It was crap in 1987, and it's crap now. Even if this was released at 199, which it should have been, it would be crap. This is worse than Wing Commander. That at least had the benefit of being a budget game originally, even though it was just big blocks of green and blue and, and and sort of white noise. This is just a really crap, no effort spared, two weeks, maybe a week in development, attempt to get this bloody game out there. There's literally no attempt to make this a good Top Gun game. Nothing. None. Badly cut out details from the film post from the box is the only way you'd associate this with the film license anyway. The rest is a haphazard load of shit. I suspect this took about two to three hours to create, if that. There is no way this took anyone a length of time. This is rubbish. 
No music was created for it. The graphics were straight from the Spectrum version. No one gave a shit about this as long as some poor suckers paid it. Now, how many times, Adrian, have we said that about an Ocean game now? Mm-hmm. How lot. many times are we going to you know? Reprehensible practice from Ocean. And a reminder for me, while they might have somehow developed a fake veneer of quality for some reason, their games are and have mostly been more shit than hit. This is 61% from Zap. They can get f***ed with that. I wouldn't give this 2%. It is crap. This was crap then, and it's crap now. An emblematic of the big ocean ripoff. And that is that they just kept releasing licensed games that were rubbish or broken or worse, with no due care and attention for anybody. And it's about time somebody called them out for it. And I'm calling them out for it, because this is emblematic of that problem. This should never have been re-released in the first place. Shocking. Shocking shocking practice, Adrian. What about you? Yeah. I'm just going to throw into that mix Highlander. It's a knockout. Yep. Miami Vice. I think Platoon is probably the only was okay. Rambo 3 wasn't great. Rambo 2 was all right. Uh, yep. Robocop was rubbish. Yep. Rastan, um, rubbish. Uh, yeah. Rastan, Short Circuit was crap. I'm trying to look through some of their other games here. Just listening to them. You know, Top Gun. Uh, we've, got, we've got loads still to come, though. That Transformers game they did was rubbish. V. Yep. V wasn't very good. Yeah, I'm just looking at their sort of licensed sort of media products, not the arcade conversion or anything. But I yep. don't think, aside from Platoon and maybe Rambo: First Blood Part Two, there's a decent one yep. amongst them. No, because Batman the Cape, well, Batman the Cape Crusader, I think was all right, but that was kind of a weird. wasn't based that was on special a, effects as well. More, more of a separate development. Special team, effects, wasn't it? yeah. Who also did Cabal? You know. Yep. Yeah, we see these things anyway. Something Top to God. be said about it. Yeah, yep. Top Gun. What is this? <laughs> Why is this? First, I thought, right, like you said, why is the Comic Bakery music here? Why? Did I? Galway got paid. What the hell does this have to do with Top Gun? I don't get it. I don't know where to start with the rest. What what the hell does Comic Bakery... Who thought a split-screen vector graphics jerky one-on-one fighter was the best way to represent this film? In the dark, yeah. Yeah. This is Top Gun. This isn't Top Gun. I, I honestly had thought... No matter you've obviously re- read what the guy said, sort of thing. I'm so fair enough, but my initial reaction to this was this: this was some other game that had the license slapped on it. Mm. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if if there's some retconning of history. I, th- I I can't. What's got nothing to do with it? You can't look at the film Top Gun and go, "What this needs is a one-on-one fighters." No, no one would watch Top Gun and make this. I'd have preferred no. a beach-based volleyball game rather than this. Yeah. Um, but and even if it's not Top Gun. Even if this was just released as whatever it was, it's still bloody awful. The enemy plane, it, it can shoot you while facing away from you. <laughs> it's like, how does it do that? I don't know. Just stupid. It makes no sense. Of all the things you could have done with this license, like you said, you could have had something like that. I would have gone, you know, it, no one wanted this. I'd have kept it simple. Vertical scroll and shoot them up. Slap fighter style. Yep. Shooting. We yeah. saw that one. That we saw that one. What was that tornado? There was TLL, I think. One. The, but there's, what was that one we looked at? That budget one recently, where you were controlling the F forty thingy and shooting stuff. Where the plane, the plane was too big, but the yeah, but the shoot, yeah. but it was fine. If they'd have done F-40 that, Tomcat, yeah, yeah. If they'd have done that for this, I'd have been yeah. okay. Yeah, just shooting. You know, shooting down MIGs and you know something nineteen forty two ish. Yeah, that would have been perfectly good, wouldn't it? Why wouldn't you? That yep. plays to 8-bit computer strengths, doesn't it? Not this. Because if you've only got three months to make something, right, what's the basic stuff? A vertical scrolling, shoot yep. them up. Make some basic levels, have them repeat, get some enemies in. That shit writes it itself. It is, but just think, what you have to think about then is think of where this game started and then then you'll suddenly realise why they didn't make it a vertically scrolling, shoot them up. Because it's on the spectrum. Because it's on the spectrum and it can't scroll. Yeah. 
So I understand that, but so that it's flawed from the very beginning. So, but yep. that makes me annoyed, sort of thing, because then it's like, well, fair enough if you're going to do that for the spectrum, but take advantage of your host machine. But they don't, do they? they just, yeah. Well, that, no. that's what port sixty-one uh, percent is just a joke. Like you said when we were talking about this, they missed a zero point at the beginning. Yeah, they did. Yeah, <laughs> zero point six one is what they should have got because it's goddamn awful, and it's the yep. ocean upgrade in full effect once again. There's yep. no way if you read this and went, "Oh, Top Gun got sixty-one percent." I never saw that when it came out. They reviewed it. Bye be all right for a couple of quid you'd be well ripped off you'd be so annoyed utterly you know, ripped off i'm surprised this didn't get a silver medal with the way yeah. the reviews are at the moment i mean i can't overestimate how bad that sequence is when the f-14 takes <laughs> off from the aircraft <laughs> it made me laugh out loud it's like it's like something out of like something a, a like like a kid's first animation or something it's so bad you can't yeah. believe it you can't believe that's in a, a, a license to a film like top gun it's just incredible yeah yeah, it is just dreadful. This was awful. <laughs> egg. Dog egg. Another contender for worst game of the year, I think. Yeah, and licensed catastrophe. Goodness me, is that a contender? Good Lord, that, that's got to be a... <laughs> it's mostly ocean know. games in there, I think. Yeah, mostly. <laughs> anyway, there you go. Top gun. Top bun. Mm-hmm. Cop gun. <laughs> crap gun. It ain't top of anything. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> yeah, bottom ass. There we go. Oh, let's move along. Let's leave that. Let's get our breath back and move on to our last game for the week. And that game, well, this is an odd one. This is Terry's Big Adventure. Not to be Mm. confused with uh, Terry's All Gold. um, Or Terry Strong. Or Terry Strong, which I kind of wish it was, wasn't it? Um, But this was (laughs) £6.99. It's a weird price. Um, Yeah. Um, it got 82%. There we, go. we don't see many of these, that's for sure. Because what we have here is a certifiable Super Mario Brothers clone. It is, um, just a bit. In, in the form of Terry's Big Adventure. Now, if this was the big adventure of Terry Strong, <laughs> I've actually written that, <laughs> we'd have Game of the Year material. If this was like, <laughs> you know, if he was bouncing along, dodging East End governor sort of thing. That's my soundtrack as, it, as yeah. you play through the level. Terry. The bonus level is just featured a, a topless woman for no reason going, here, Terry. And that was it. Yeah, then you, had had to, you had to rescue Arthur Daly. You had to play that. Yeah. I'd, have, I'd have bought that. Absolutely. Alas, though, it is not to be. Terry's no. Big Adventure was published by Shades and developed by Game Tech. And on the C64, okay. it was coded by Gary Walton. He also did the visuals as well. Now, also, the credit on Lemon is down for Alistair Brimble for the music. Interesting. But there is a comment on there to say it's an error. And he did the Amiga version music, not the C64 version. Mm. I did listen to the Amiga version music, and it's very, it's completely different. Um, and yeah. does sound like a Brimble piece of work. But supposedly the music for the C64 version is Gary Walton again. So it's a true okay. one-man band developer. He did everything. Music, sound, and code by the okay. sound of it. So what's the story here? There ain't one. Not really. Not that I can see. So what the manual says, it says this. Terry's Big Adventure is a one-player, left-to-right, smooth-scrolling, jump-and-run game with superb music, sound effects, and excellent <laughs> graphics. Terry is a small, energetic character who is an expert with a yo-yo. His adventure takes him through 12... Uh, levels where he encounters numerous obstacles such as hedgehogs, snails, bridges, rivers, and poisonous mushrooms that pop up at the least expected moment. Armed with his yo-yo or rocks, Terry must slay the enemies to be able to continue on his adventure. 
There you go. That's from the box. Okay. So when the game first loads, we've got no real title screen to speak of. There's no sound either. It's really quiet. What we've got is a scrolling view of the first level and the name of the game in the top left with a high score underneath it. Uh, if you leave it a while, then you get a demo of the game. Very short demo, but still a demo. Something I always like to see to give you a taste of what is to come. Mm. Okay. So nice, nice bit of presentation at the beginning. Pressing the fire button gets us going and we see a very familiar looking game to both Mario and you know Guyana sisters. So it's one of them. So as the instruction said, it's a left to right platformer with you controlling Terry trying to make your w- way through the 12 levels ahead of you. The game itself takes up the whole screen uh, with the only UI being the score and number of lives remaining in the top left. Controls are simple enough with left and right to run, up to jump and fire to fling out your yo-yo because you've got a weapon here. Kind of similar to a bit like, I mean, like Rygar, I guess. Yeah. Because um, you had a, a smashy yo-yo. Um, so you must use this yo-yo to take down the various nasties that stand in your way. The controls are inertia-based as well. It takes a little bit of time to get used to and also to get Terry up to full speed for bigger jumps and stuff. And then it will take him longer to stop and turn around as well because if you're running fast, then you're gonna get that. You've got that inertia, so you've got to plan for that, and you have to plan. You can't just turn on a dime in this. There's, you know, there's, a, there's weight to this character. You can't land on enemies' heads either, Mario style, to kill them. Or at least not that I could try. Anyway, seems you could do that in the Amiga version when I looked at a video, but not in this one. You've got to hit them with the yo-yo to kill them. Because if you run into them or hit them from the top or anywhere else, you will die. So like the running another like the running and other games of the silk, you've got control over Terry's jump as well. The longer you hold up, the higher you jump. So just tap up and you do a small jump and you hold it up and you'll do a full jump, just like Mario does when you hold down the fire button fully or tap mm-hmm. it. Same kind of control system. You can also slow down in midair in order to land on platforms correctly. So you've got some kind of you know control over your jumping and stuff. So it's not like once you press fire, you're jumping like we've seen in loads of these games. No, you've got control. I like that. I like That's how I like my platformers to be. You're a bit of control in the air. I know it's not realistic, but I don't care. I'm playing a video game. But you do. It does feel like you've got a lot of weight to contend with, though. Terry's hefty. He's got a. He's, 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 <laughs> he's leaden. He's chunky. He's, he's obviously been pump, pumping out. Um, but once you get used to them, I thought the controls were fine. You start your mate to wait. You start to make your way through the levels. Um, the screen itself has been split. It's kind of like it's easy enough to read. It's, it's like twelve blocks high. It's a twelve block high grid. That's what the the, the game is. Um, mm. And all the levels and platforms fit in. Just they just fit into that grid. So you know exactly how this is going to look. It's a left to right scroll. It never scrolls vertically. So it's a flat experience in the way that Mario and Guyana aware before it but i found that the placement of enemies the need for the use of the yo-yo it does it is quite challenging although you know it can can look quite simplistic it's actually quite challenging at times and does get um more and more challenging it goes on the levels are not just populated with enemies but there are collectible mushrooms as well and you need to pick up the white ones for bonus points while the brown ones that move up and down sort of pop about the land give you extra time for the level you're currently on hit any other colored mushrooms and they will kill you so you only want to hit the white and the brown ones anything else kills you anything kills you in this game if you hit certain enemies with your yo-yo um not just certain enemies but cert- uh, randomly enemies some certain enemies will pop up like a bubble will pop from their head and it'll pop up a bubble it will sort of fly down and then a letter will appear and it'll start floating down should you collect this before it hits the ground? Because if it hits the ground, it pops. Um, but if you collect it before it hits the ground, you can start to spell out some words in the top left, which is underneath your score and lives. If you spell out the word Terry, so you spell that word out, you become invulnerable for a short period of time. It's basically like getting the star in Mario. It's exactly the same. So the, and the music mm. changes to indicate that you are now you know, you've, you've become sort of invulnerable um, and you can just leg it, leg it as far as you can and you can go through enemies and kill them. So that's quite cool. If you collect the word extra, 
you get an extra life. That's nice. There are also flags as well to collect, and these act as score multipliers, but they are in hard-to-reach places, and I died far more often trying to get to those bloody flags and just left them. It was like, bugger this. They're really hard to get to in some places. Um, so it's up to you whether you want to go get them. As you progress, you'll find bonus areas. So you can drop down. There's like holes you can make or things you can turn on and that opens up holes you can drop down. And there's loads of loot to collect and little platform sections and stuff to grow. So there's loads of secret stuff to find as well, um, which is quite nice. And should you make it to the end of a level, then you get another short time timed bonus level to cut loads of mushrooms again before heading onwards. Again, it's all, it's all nice. The end of level as well has a thing which you need to kind of jump on at the top top of. If you jump on it at the top, you get more bonus points. Again, just like uh, Mario's flagpole. This is very Mario-influenced, but not like we're sort of awash with Mario-style games on the C64. The levels themselves, they never really vary in what you do. You run and jump and yo-yo stuff. But the variety of enemies does, and soon you have to contend with flying stars, lightning from clouds, enemies that take multiple hits with a yo-yo, um, and so on, all whilst trying to navigate ever more tighter platforming structures. Sometimes you've got to climb up. There's like walls and stuff, so you're bouncing from side to side while enemies are sort of falling down them and coming after you. Some enemies will fall off platforms. Some will just patrol the platform they're on. They all do different things, and that's quite nice. You can't, you can't just leg it. You've got to kind of plan around a little bit. It's a good platformer. And it really is. It's classic platform design. It just borrows heavily from Mario. Um, but like I said, we've got Guyana Sisters, and there's not other very many other Mario clones we've got on the C64, so that's not a bad thing. The visuals are okay. They're they're okay. They're, they're functional. They're like a rougher version of Guyana Sisters, I think. I think it's the best way to describe them. Yeah, but they yeah, do the yeah. job. And scro- the scrolling is smooth, and the controls are fine and responsive. I never had any problems with anything. The music was a weird, it's a strange, bouncy tune that just sort of bumbles along in the background. I imagine it does become annoying after a while. I never found it annoying, and the chill change when you spell out Terry was welcome, but it does just kind of bounce along, and you, it's just there. It's a, it's a bimbling tune. There are also floating platforms as well that sort of carry you from place to place. There are destructible blocks and secrets, like I said, to find. And there's just enough enemies in just enough places to frustrate, but not in a bad way because it's like you take your time. You don't have to rush through the levels. Obviously, you're chasing score chasing, you will do, but you don't have to. So taking your time is the way. So plan your attacks, get in there and kill them. There's nothing too bad. And also as well, if you scroll it to the right, it never scrolls back to the left. And if enemies walk off to the left, they don't come back. They're gone and dead. So you don't have to worry Mm. about them. That's that's you know that's probably just a programming thing that once it's gone it's forgotten and written out of memory but it's handy to know. There are also checkpoints as well throughout the levels, so you never lose too much progress when you die. You go back to a checkpoint. That's quite good. And even when I died and started again, like the first time through it, I got to, I just got to the second level. I started again. I actually started on level two rather than level one. So I thought that was a good touch as well. I don't know whether that works all the time. Whether there's a limited amount of continues, I wasn't sure, but. That's quite cool as well. I didn't know what to expect from this. I mean, it's Terry's Big Adventure. I'd never heard of it. We laughed at the uh, the crap a few uh, few weeks back. But, you know, as Mario-style platformers on this system go, I thought this was a pretty good one because we're just not awash with them. Like I said, never heard of it before. Wasn't sure what to expect. But, you know, it's a, it's a decent Mario clone, and it wasn't what I was expecting. And it's only seven quid. So for, for 12 decent levels, secret bonus levels, secret end of level sort of you know trials there's a decent challenge here the levels get quite tricky as you progress there's a lot of decent game here for that price um it does its one thing it's a mario platformer and it does it well i like this it's not a classic you know it is what it is but it's a decent game all the same it's a decent mario platformer on the c64 i think guyana sisters obviously gets all the plaudits because it was probably the first one 
But this has come along and maybe go, the C64 can do these if people want to do them. And I think there's another good one here. I liked it. Wasn't what I was expecting, but yeah, it was good. What about you? Yeah. Uh, it's a weird, though not unplayable Mario clone, wasn't it? With an odd melancholy, kind of melancholic vibe about it. Yeah. I don't know if yeah, that's just has. the music. It had just got kind of a sad vibe. Graphics were small, but they did the job. Mario style. Scroll was really good, smooth. Worked exactly as you'd expect it to. Like you said, he is a little bit heavy, but that kind of just that... It's like that's how this game works, and it has that kind of nice sort of inertia-based sort of effect, which I thought, which I thought was quite nice. It is dead frustrating though, but that's these kind of Mario games in a nutshell, isn't it? With the music though, it was like they asked the Smiths to compose music for it. <laughs> so it just gave it that kind of weird sort of, you know, I won't go out tonight, but uh, you know, it'd be like playing a game with Morrissey. <laughs> yeah, true. Graphics were an odd mix, um, but. In the context, they lacked some of the polish. Quite characterful monsters. Little one that opens his eyes yeah, and yeah, sort of moves yeah. towards you and stuff. Yeah, like so that it may have lacked a little bit of polish. They're not maybe super pro, but they were perfectly good for what this was. And remember, this is kind of a budget game. I thought the controls, like you said, were good. Nice after-touch effect. Skid logic was quite nice, like Mario. So it's a, you, know, you know it's a pain when you skid off a you know a platform and whatnot. But yeah. that's how it goes. Um, as Mario game clones go, we don't get many of them, like you said. So when they come along, you know, and they're and they're a serious attempt, like this is, it's not terrible at all. There's a lot to it, and I think that's a good thing. There's a lot to this game, and you can keep going at it for six ninety nine. If you can get past the kind of doom, sadness, you know, Morrissey vibes <laughs> that it gives you. There's a good game in there, I think. Yes, it's Mario, but it's not a you know shot for shot Mario game. There's differences and there's nuances, and there's loads of you know, nowadays. Like we're awash with these um, platform type run and you know, jump yeah, platform yeah. type games. There's loads of them, so it's not like it's doing anything groundbreaking. But at the same time, it is doing something good on the C64 because the C64 is a perfectly capable platformers many games will attest later for this kind of sort of platforming game. It's, it's a good platform for that. You know, the eight, it's got eight sprites. It's got all the stuff going on. It's got enough graphic oomph behind it to scroll the screen nicely. It's almost like it was made for these kind of games, really, isn't it? Yeah. Character blocks, nice, simple character blocks yeah, for scrolling exactly. and stuff for the background. Exactly. It's a good game, this, for the price. Not bad at all. At least it's a full game with no bugs, just some good old-fashioned platforming that you can jump about and figure stuff out and get on with it. What's not to like about that? Yes, the advert was crap, but the game is actually pretty good. I didn't look at the Amiga version, but the C64 version had enough character to give it its own little universe. If you can get past Morrissey being involved, it's all good. <laughs> so uh, I thought it was, it, it, for what it, for the price, it ain't bad, is it, that $6.99 no. for that? It's $6.99 for a Mario game. Nowadays, if we've got six ninety nine for a Mario game, we'd all be happy. So it's pretty good. Yeah, and to be think, it's probably, it. got, it's, it's probably got all that weight because he might actually be Terry Strong. I imagine yeah, Terry Strong be, would be yeah. quite hefty. And at least it's got a character, and it is a character. Yeah, and it, it should be Terry Strong, but you know, let's just say it is. But it's got a character, and his character doing his own thing. It's not, you know, Gianna Sisters with Deanna Sisters, but they were kind of Mario. This, yes, it's Mario esque, but it's Terry. He's doing his own thing. I like that. I quite like that. Terry's Big Adventure's got a nice British vibe sort of about it as well. I don't know why. Yeah. Yeah, it has. Yeah. There yeah, we go. Works Terry's, for me. Yeah, good. Terry's Big Adventure. Terry's all gold. It is pretty much all gold in that game. It's good. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good end to the month. Good end to the week. I quite liked it. Just a, like you said, nice just to get a standard platform where you knew exactly what was going on, no problems, and it worked. And all in one load. All in one load as well, which is always good to see. That's it. 
that's it for this week. We've had six games. Those games were, let's go through them, where we started off with the, the hefty turbo outrun. Too big for its boots, I think. Too big for its road, I think is the... Uh, yeah. The uh, the yeah, sort of saying true. there, too big for trade. We had sporting triangles. <laughs> the least said about that, the better. Uh, not the worst game though this week. Not the worst game, but still not not great. Xenophobe, which I found utterly bewildering, um, and it's just a, I, I don't know why anyone bothered to convert that. Really, it's such a strange thing. Cabal, which uh, good conversion. You know, and like we said, your mileage will vary depending on how much you like the original. Then we had the god-awful Top Gun. Dreadful, dreadful, dreadful thing. And finally, the fun adventures of Terry in Terry's Big Adventure, which was uh, an okay platformer. Not a bad week. Not a bad week. We've had worse. We had... Uh, we have. I mean, to be fair, we've got four... I'd say we've got four decent games out of six. Only two, you know, Top Gun and Sporting Triangles were, were god-awful. I think the rest were all decent at the very least. So that's not bad. That's not bad. Yeah, that's it. What we got coming up next week? Uh, well, next week we round out December. So it is it. This is it. The, fi- or the final week for December is next this week. This is it. Final um, countdown. Final that. So um, we've got Stunt Car Racer. Ooh. Action Fighter. Mm. Altered Beast. Ooh. Which I've had a look at. And that's not a... Don't make that noise. It's <laughs> yeah. a... Uh, 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 battle Chess. The music being weird for that. A battle Chess. Okay. Mm-hmm. Battle Chess, which will... Uh, uh, yeah, well, we'll get to that. Spitfire. Okay. That one. We've got the C64 version of Kickoff. Uh, okay. Um, and finally, nice rounding out the year, we have Myth. Okay, right. Interesting okay. one to get into. Um, so that mm. rounds out the year. Following on from that, on the following week, we will have, obviously, the 1989 Golden Breadbin Awards. They are coming. They are. We've got to put our, put our awards hats on and think about what's best. Best game, best graphics, best visuals, best sound. Worst. Oh God, here we go again. <laughs> What's the worst? I think the best one's going to be an interesting category because I think there's some, been in some really interesting games this year. There has. When they've been good, they've been really good. And I, I can already know at least one game that's definitely going to be in that list, at least for me anyway. I can think of, I can think of sort of, yeah, three or four, I think, that I think will be mm. up for a shout. Will, will, will be interesting to get to. I can think of about 20 or 30 in the uh, worst game category. Yeah, worst game. Licensed catastrophe. The They're going to be hotly called com- crap. K conversion. Crap There's going to be some hotly contested bloody games in there. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But that's not next week. That'll be the week after uh, where we will have that. So um, yeah, should be good. If you wish to, if you would have get in on that, well, obviously we're getting feedback from our patrons right now. So so if you want to join in and get in our Patreon, you can join in on these awards. You can do that by signing up at patreoncom zap to the past. So if you want to join up, you can. Price for sandwich, pint of beer. It's not much, and you can get in on all the action. We welcome all the votes and whatever you want to do, so that's all cool. You go there. You can also send us a coffee if you want at ko-fi.com. Voice like up to the past. Um, that's cool too. Um, alternatively, just gives a shout out on Twitter or Facebook. We appreciate all that or ratings, reviews, whatever they do, but it's all good. I'd like to say I'm glad to be back. It's been four weeks since we recorded something. It's felt good to be recording again. Um, so I've enjoyed myself. So that's always good. And that's it from me. Graham, you got anything you want to add about this week or next week no. or anything in general? No, no. Other than we're rapidly approaching the end of December. It's going to be interesting to see with the Breadbin Awards who wins the crappiest ocean game. So uh, <laughs> I'm not sure who's going to win that. <laughs> it's going to be a tough one, that's for sure. All <laughs> right. So on that note, I'm going to say goodbye. I think we're done for this week. Um, as ever. I have been Adrian Mills. And I have been Graham Raddings. And you have been listening to Zap to the Past. And we will see you again next week where we finish the year uh, for 1989. So see you then. (laughs) 
Thank you for listening to the Zap to the Past podcast. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the world of Commodore 64 games, as well as the music, films and TV from around the 1980s, driven, of course, by the issue of Zap 64 magazine published at that time. We will return with a whole new batch of games and stuff to talk about next week. Until then, if you want to listen to or download previous episodes of Zap to the Past, and why wouldn't you? They can all be found on our website at zaptothepast.com, as well as being available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, Audible, Player FM, and, well, pretty much anywhere where we can upload them. By the way, we do always love to hear from our amazing listeners, so if you'd like to contact us about anything in the podcast or beyond, you can do so by emailing us at zaptothepast at gmail.com. We're also active on Twitter under at Zaptother, as well as Facebook, Instagram, and most social media platforms. Just search for Zap to the Past and you'll find us. Oh, and if you like the podcast and what we're doing, please do like, share, review, rate us. It really helps. Something, apparently. The Zap to the Past podcast is written and produced by Adrian Mills and Graham Raddings and recorded at Flaky Bits 2.0 Studio. All opinions expressed are those of the writers, and while we indeed love Zap64 magazine, the Zap to the Past podcast is not affiliated with it in any way. Stay safe, see you next time, and remember, we play these games so you don't have to.